It's episode 23 at the Metrofan TV Weekly Rundown. Lens and Fernando coming to you live in the middle of crisis season, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. It's the Ides of March, and you have to be careful of them. Uh, coming to you live, of course, after uh, maybe a bit of a disappointing uh, defeat uh, in the first leg of our CONCACAF Champions League uh, matchup against Santos Laguna of Mexico. How are you feeling today, Fernando? It's kind of a weird one to swallow, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'm disappointed. Um... I, 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 I'm not mad. I'm disappointed because, like, <laughs> you know, it, you know what I feel like. I feel like when I was like in grammar school and I spent all like week studying for a really hard tests, and I really thought I would do well, and then I fucking failed or something. It's like fuck. I can't be mad because I tried, but it just wasn't good enough, kind of thing. It, it, I don't know. I just feel. I just. I feel empty. I, I don't even know how to feel. Well, that was a, we're already off to a great start then. Uh, joining us on the uh, <laughs> podcast this week, uh, this was supposed to go out on a Monday, but we'd like to apologize for uh, like some of the inconveniences that caused it to be delayed today. So we would have had a bit more of an in-depth preview for the team that we were about to face. But nonetheless, we do have Tom Bellows with us to talk about Santos Laguna. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing all right. Um, as you can already hear from all of us, our smile and our optimism gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I, I, I'm doing all right. Uh, the game was interesting um, right. to watch and behold. Something you see um, when you're watching Liga Emeki's games, watching the uh, watching Santos, which I've taken them up as of uh, basically last year. Um, and it's just it's very interesting to see stuff you watch against teams in a completely different league, like every week or every other week, as best you can, happen against your favorite team. Um, <laughs> which is normal moments where you're just like, "Ha, huh, I recognize that," and then watching it be like, "Oh no!" <laughs> Fun transition. Yeah. Um, needless to say, um, I'm I'm gonna begin, I guess, the episode by quoting the great Russian philosopher, Ilya Brzgalov. I mean, it's only a game, you guys. Why you have to be mad? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess to kind of, I guess we're, we're, I was going to center discussion around this episode. I think like the plan for the last episode for if we were recording on Monday was to kind of start with uh, the Columbus game. But I think we're going to move discussion of what we saw in Columbus to after we break down the Santos game, because I think it kind of has more relevance still to what we might see in the second leg against uh, Intorion next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll, I, I, but I think we'll begin then by just kind of addressing the elephant in the room. Right. I think, uh, after the events of Tuesday, the team finds itself, you know, with a mountain to climb. And it's kind of a mountain that, to a degree, was self-created, I think. Because I think the 2-0 scoreline kind of flatters Santos a bit. Maybe I sound a bit delusional saying that. I hope I don't, because I think that's a fair assessment. Because on the night itself, despite the fact that we gave up two goals, I think, to a team that was in short rest. You know, that scoreline could have very well been very different on the night if certain chances were taken better. And I think that's sort of like what we 
and to begin with here, right? You know, I think uh, when you saw how brightly the team started against Santos at home, you know, like really going straight for the jugular and creating a one-on-one opportunity, um, you know, I think in the opening five minutes itself that required just an absolute worldly of a save from Jonathan Orozco to keep the scoreline level, you know, it really did seem, and it very much could have been, in my opinion, a very different game if some of those early chances were converted. You know, I think there's also that, um, there was that chance at the far post from Danny Royer, and there was that header from BWP that went just wide after that. You know, I think, you know, despite the um, despite the fact that we conceded two goals, like I think there was certainly enough in this one where it could have very well been very different. And I think we're going to be ruining that. I think maybe the rest of the uh, season, for, right? Because I think you're kind of you're kind of wonder to yourself like this is that big what if moment that kind of follows this club around every once in a while. Um, but you know, I think I'm going to, st- I'm going to throw it out by saying, I'm going to take the pulse from you guys on the backs of this performance. And for me personally, while I think there were some things that we can definitely be disappointed about, there are enough silver linings here for the people that want to go look for them, I think. So, um, I guess I'll open discussion with this, like, uh, what went wrong for us? On Tuesday, you guys, um, anything stand out? I mean, I, I think it's important to remember that, and I, I had made a tweet about it, that this was the best team, this team. Santos was the best team the New York Rebels has ever faced in a real, actual, meaningful, competitive match, in my yep. opinion. Mm-hmm. Those two strikers were the best strikers that that this team has ever faced, in my opinion in a real meaningful competitive match. Um, and they played in a very different way than you ever see in MLS. Even, even if those strikers weren't as good as they were, I think it would have been a little bit of a learning curve. Um, Chris did mention that they knew that's how they were going to play. They studied, you know, uh, uh, you know, their, their formation and, and how they use your strikers and they, they, they trained for it. But I, at the same time, you could practice all you want. Right. But, until you actually are standing next to that level of talent, you don't know how you're actually going to handle it. You could have all you have the best plan in the world, but if you won't know how hard you're going to be tested until you're you're on the field, and I'm not sure if just Long and Parker were just tested beyond maybe what they expected, or or maybe that maybe we've been blinded. By 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 you know MLS is not let's not be honest having anywhere near the level of attack and talent uh, that 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 Mexico has and, and maybe you know we kind of saw them being exposed in that way or they just had bad they just had a bad game I don't know but that was a very 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 good team we went up against um, and tactically they knew what to do they knew how to they completely knew how to bypass the press um, and we have to give them credit for that. So some of it is things that went wrong. Other things is got to keep shit real. There's a good fucking team that walked into our stadium and, and played well. I mean, sometimes you just lose. Sometimes you kind of just have to, you kind of just have to accept that. That being said, the biggest problem for me in this game was lack of sharpness. We, I've seen the game twice now and I saw the second half a third time, actually, 
Um, if we finish those chances in the first 35 minutes, it is a very different game. They might still score. I, I, I don't think we, clean, we we keep a clean sheet against them. I'm going to be 100%. There's, my, there's no way we walk. Uh, uh, they walk out of that stadium without at least a goal, regardless of how many we score. But we still should have scored, and the momentum definitely changes. Before they scored their first goal, we had like three chances in a span of three minutes. Good chances too. It, it it's 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 unbelievable that we didn't at least manage to get one goal that one goal that game. And I think the discussion has to start with that. There's a lot that happened later on in the match, from defensive breakdowns to to mental breakdowns and 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 maybe some not good enough tactical adjustments, whatever. But for me, it starts with the lack of finishing. And I I I was worried about this from watching uh 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 the last you know the last round. Yeah, we could have yeah we we scored five on them, but we've all said it. We could have easily scored nine or ten goals in the, between those two games, at least. At least, and that's against a low-level uh, uh, opponent. Margins are very, very, very thin at this level. Margins are very, very thin at this level of competition and going against a team like that. If you can't capitalize on that, you're not going to advance. It's, it's, it's that simple. And if you're not taken against, against a team like that at that kind of level, if you're not taking advantage of your chances early on, you're going to get bit. 100% you're going to get bit. And and that's what happened. And there's one um, issue that I was very concerned about when we couldn't finish is that Santos have a big reputation, especially last year, towards the end of last year, um, and what has bit them for some time, they leak goals. If you want an example, you th- think of our 2017 team, um, especially towards the end of the season where we could not get a result. We'd always give up. That one particular heartbreaking like goal that gives us a tie or makes us lose the game or something, that is something Santos have been very um, problematic with. Even during the season, even though they've been quite good, uh, they gave up several goals. And I don't want—I don't mean to disparage um, uh, the team they play, the Honduran team uh, Marathon, um, Club Deportivo Marathon, but they gave up, I believe it's three or four goals to them. Um, in their ties um, for the um, previous round, we are better than that team. Um, Us not being able to finish and convert chances that were there. Orozco played a fantastic game that we should not take a single thing away from the keeper, um, Jonathan Orozco. He played phenomenal and he put his team in a position to succeed. That being said, we faced a duel with two journeyman center backs. Um, one was Kaku's friend uh, Nervo, and the other, I believe, Danilo was the other one who played. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, Do- yeah, it was Doria. Doria. Um, he's a he, yeah. yeah, he's he's from Olympic Marseille. He didn't get too many games there, and he's just um come in. So talent, but journeyman talent, because he he was loaned out about f- uh, four or five times before coming settling in Santos. I look at that um, that performance from from our um, finishing, and it just there was something off. Um, obviously, the the first chance that everyone's going to look back at, Brad's one on one with the keeper, um, has space, 
tries to put it on the far post. Um, Orozco gets a hand on it, saved. Um, and there's there's no there's no getting around any any sort of like talking about this that the other thing that that chance goes in the team on zero rest jet lagged from flying delayed flights across the country if the first goal goes in within 10 minutes they're done um and i that happens with any team it's a mental thing you get punched in the face in a frail state of mind you know that happens but we don't we don't score that's fine there's 90 minutes to a game what i was most astonished at was in a game where we were playing our third and fourth choice of fullbacks, Connor Lane and Kyle Duncan, respectively. You have Aaron Long and Tim Parker, who we just paid handsomely this summer, which well-deserved deals for their 2018 campaign. We had we were running on eight clean sheets at home going into the game against Santos Laguna. They either were outskilled, which we've both seen them play, albeit in friendlies on the U.S. national team against very good talent. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to buy into the fact that they were outskilled or like starstruck on the, even though those were friendlies and this was a competitive fixture. I'm not going to fully buy in that they were like, whoa, great players. I don't buy <laughs> that. I don't, I don't buy that fully. Um, I They had a nightmare performance um, collectively. Uh, Tim Parker looked lost on occasion. If Aaron Long, Aaron Long had times where people just spun him around completely. Um, and even defensively, with the first goal, uh, which Valdez scores, um, Danny Royer just freezes. And you, this, was, this, became, this became a theme throughout the night where you'd see guys doing their job and then at the at a specific second, like they were just like, ooh, still in preseason mode, which you know I'll, I'll I'll give I'll give some some excuses, but it was our fourth game of the season. Um, that's not something I always expect from the fourth game of the season. Um, I will say uh, we were as Fernando mentioned before, they tried to they had to beat the press because we were for the better part of the first half winning the battle of the midfield. Kaku had perhaps, I think, personal opinion, uh, the game against Santos was Kaku's best game in a Red Bull uh, shirt. Um, Just he was everywhere doing everything. He was putting the game on his back. Um, I was astonished, especially his ball to to spring Brad uh, for for the first chance. Um, Kaku was everywhere and doing everything he could um, to pull the team to a result because he was up for it. Um, I felt co- very confident watching Kaku um, go out there and do have a game where people have been like, well, can he make a difference? Is he this difference maker who can control a game? We just saw it. We watched it happen. The only people who let him down were the forwards and the finishing. Yeah, and, and, and his there's only so much he can do. You know, he, he can't pass it to himself. He can't be both, you know, the attacking mid and also the goal scorer. He did his job. He created multiple chances, good chances at that. Unfortunately, you know, it, the people, the guys that are receiving into that ball, they got to do their job too, and, and none of them did at all. Yeah, I mean, on, on the day for me, because I want to go back to this earlier point, I think about the defense being out of sorts. You know, I think a really good point was kind of brought up, and this is in no ways an excuse, but rather perhaps uh, rationalization of what maybe could have contributed to this just complete breakdown, I think, on the – 
the part of our two center backs. I mean, um, it's very rare, and Santos Laguna have an incredible advantage in this way. That it is very rare that you have two complete strikers leading your line, right? I mean, like, yeah. you have to say Julio Furch and Javier Correa. I mean, like, those guys are just absolutely fabulous players. You know, they can do everything as a striker. Drop deep, link up, put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, I think part of maybe what kind of had to do with Long and Parker just kind of being all out of sorts all night, you know, is that in MLS, they're very used to dealing with lone striker formations, right? So you kind of vaguely know what maybe to expect in systems from from opposing systems where the team's playing a single striker, you know? And yeah, you know, it's true. I think the coaching staff can prepare you to a certain extent to deal with a strike partnership like that. But on the day of the game itself, it's still down to you, to the player to keep their heads and stay on top of things, to kind of execute that game plan to a degree, right? And it really seemed to me that they just had a lot of difficulty tracking Furch and Correa for most of the game. You know, I think uh, in the post-game comments from Salvador Reyes, the Santos coach was very telling that they kind of knew that playing their regular 4-4-2 would kind of be to their advantage because they had players with those skill sets. And not only that, but they'd be going up against, they'd be one-on-one with their respective center back, right? As well as the fact that they could easily create this overload in the attacking third because of the fact that they had, um, what's his name, Diego Valdez, I think sort of working between the lines right behind him. The you know, so, guy, yeah. Yeah. So I think you could kind of see that um, this was kind of that rare incidence where I will say that we just got completely outplayed on the day by our opposition because they took full advantage of the skill sets of those two players. And it just sent us in loops, if I'm being quite frank with you. I think, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. like, especially of how high Davis and Shutkovsky were generally playing this game, um, they were having no litany of success I think no ends of the amounts of success just creating these very dangerous overloading situations in the center of the field, you know? And I think, um, I think I really do think that the tactics in the day from Santos, and I know that they were probably just playing their regular game from our discussions about Santos in the past, Tom, that they were probably just playing their regular game. And on the day day itself, you know, I think they just failed to stay on top of it. And it wasn't I, much special, if I'll if I'll be honest. Like you said, like staying on top of it. Santos have played a four four two every game basically this season. Um, they've had some deviations from it, um, but uh, consistently it's it's been the same lineup. They basically played the same lineup every game for the past five or six games. They rotated a little bit for the marathon game, um, but yeah, this is a, a lineup that you would expect to see from this team. Um, an interesting facet for the, their their strike partnership is that Avia Correa is a signing from this year. Um, he was just brought in. Uh, he's actually only played nine games um, for the club, and he scored six goals in that time period, which is bonkers. Um, they bought him from Colón de Santa Fe in, uh, Arge- in Argentina for $4 million U.S. dollars. So this player, they, they brought him in 
with the intent that he was going to come in and start and play immediately. Um, and to strike partner Furch and they were able to do exactly what they've been trying to do. Furch, Furch is very similar to a um, BWP story. If we're going to be honest, um, he started off in, in Argentina and kind of just wasn't really finding his way. And he, he's come to Mexico and uh, Mexico and Liga MX, and he's been a revelation essentially. Um, prior to Santos, he played for Veracruz. It has been seeing that strike partnership, and as you mentioned, and I we we've we've harped on that this is the best strike partnership or the best strikers that this league has ever seen. Julio Furch is what MLS media um, thinks Joseph Martinez is, yeah. um, and that's that. I'm going to be. I'm going <laughs> to basically put my foot down. Like his skill and his finishing and his his positioning was something that you were that I, it, it's a treat to watch, um, yeah. and just seeing him being able to go at Long and Parker with confidence, and because that that's that's a big thing. Usually, Parker and Long are used to the attackers or an attacker whoever's coming at them to be like, "Whoa, this is the best bet defense in MLS." Like, let's let's take some you know caution here. These guys were just plowing up against them. Um, they were up for it initially, and I, and while we uh, you mentioned uh, the tactics as well, we 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 have to point out that it, Santos had a very interesting strategy in the first part of the game, which very was very detrimental to them. They tried to test Kyle Duncan for about twenty five minutes. They went straight at Duncan down the down the down the wing over there, which I, I, didn't I just work for them. I, I would not be the least bit surprised if. Um... If uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they thought that it would unbalance it the way it un- it would be unbalanced if like they went at after laid for example mm-hmm. like maybe they, they thought if you just if you attack if you attack one of the fullbacks you could unbalance it and maybe they realize that you know you can do that against laid but you can't do that against uh you can't do that against um against Duncan. It was it was very it was a big prove it moment for Duncan and there were takes in the first twenty five minutes that or thirty minutes that were like time to sell Mauricio now boys Duncan's back Duncan's here which you know um that worked out good Duncan still played a fantastic game but we're gonna um have to pump those hype hype breaks a bit there like it's not time to sell an impact player who we didn't see on the field because he made a mental boo boo. Yeah, in the last that uh, yeah, <laughs> several times. Real, like, I, 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 did, I just want to I just want to clarify something real quick about, about about with with you know I guess what I said earlier about a, a, a Long and Parker. I guess to, what I what I guess what I was getting at was that this was the highest level attackers they have ever faced. Oh yeah, and it's more that not that like they're just not good, but having to learn and adjust basically on the fly again, no matter how much preparation until you actually are until you're on the field with these guys, the learning curve, the active learning curve of, of applying what you learn of what you learn, I think was just at a much higher level than maybe they've ever had to face. If that makes sense. You know, as, like- as, a, as a cohesive unit, it's true because I think like in a vacuum, in terms of talent, like at national team level, I think they've gone up against very good players. But at national team level, you're not going to see players of that caliber sort of molded into exactly. a very cohesive mm-hmm. unit. 
You know, you're yes. going to, especially in friendlies, right? Which is mostly what they played. Like, this is like club soccer is a very different beast from going up against mm-hmm. one time against the French friendly. national team yeah. in a friendly. I think exactly. anyone with a functioning brain can tell you that, right? Because going up against Furch and Correa is going up against the Santos Laguna side who had basically, I think, what, half a season at this point? The kind of gel, uh, the kind not really half. The the, the Clausura has just started. They they're always a Clausura team, right? By the way, right? But um, it's just it's kind. Of, they have more. They definitely have more time under their under their legs right. to adjust as a team, right? But regardless, well, well, I think their season started. I think their season started like the beginning of January. Then they have like ten games under their belt. But yeah, that's still a not, lot more like yeah. time. I think they've had together yeah. to kind of understand and build that chemistry. And, you know, at the end of the day, that these are two very talented players who have that report. Like, it's not exactly a coincidence that Correa, for example, has had his best scoring season as a player at Santos Laguna. And, you know, I think that has to do with the fact that he has a really good report with Julio Furch. And Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, I think it's true you can point to the fact that oh they played a one-off friendly with the u.s men's national team against players with higher quality talent in a vacuum but that's exactly what it is it's talent in a vacuum you know like friendlies don't necessarily put out that same kind of intensity and national teams don't always have that same level of chemistry that club teams do and especially when you put it in context of a formation that they don't really have too much experience going up against either because you don't see a lot of teams playing 4-4-2 in MLS. Who's the, who's and, the closest they've come up against like, as far as talent-wise? Dual strikers. Toronto, dual, Josie, and, and Seba? Maybe that even be, eh, maybe that'd maybe, be it. But, um, but, he, but even then, though, he really didn't play as a full-on... Like, Giovanni exactly. would really ever play as a full-on, like, second like full-on striker he would often kind of drop back a little bit he was he was rarely like just next to uh you know next to ne- next to uh to what's his name um to Josie, Josie. the way these you know the and, way these guys were so it's, and the thing on top of that is that last year in 2018 like they didn't go up against full quote-unquote juggernaut tfc because Josie was injured half the time yeah. and giovinko was the only like major attacking piece that they had that was healthy for most of last year right and even before last year like long and parker as a unit just weren't a thing because parker literally wasn't on the roster before he won a game right yeah and and i just want to and i just want to so in watching the game again one of the things i noticed was the the they adjusted earlier than i initially remembered like when i was there they they were toying with playing out the back a little bit and it, they started. They they stopped doing that a lot earlier than I than I remembered. And they did it a couple times, and even like the second half. But what I thought was the most interesting tactic, and it's kind of basic. It's it's relatively straightforward, but goddamn, it just fucking works so well. The easiest way to bypass, uh, sorry, the easiest way to bypass a high press is to just play direct. Just fucking launch a ball across the entire fucking field. Right to your attack, you know, right to 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 uh, uh to your striker, your strikers, your wingers, whatever, and and you kind of just go from there. It's the easiest way to do it, and this is why playing a deeper block exists. This is why 
we played a deeper block against Atlanta. And this is why we've played a deeper block before against Columbus in the past under Jesse and under like there, there's a reason why the the concept of playing a deeper block um, even while you're pressing exists. It's because if a team is if 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 a keeper or defender is launching a ball directly across like seven of your players directly to basic your back line, you've completely lost the entire midfield advantage that makes the high press work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and the again the adjustment is to play a deeper block, which you know Chris was crucified for last year, but there was a reason why he did that. He didn't do that this game. And we kind of saw what happens when you don't do that. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not advocating that we should have we should have played a deeper block, but what I am saying is they did a fantastic job. And I, I've 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 stared at at uh at their keepers uh passing a distribution uh chart for like twenty minutes the other day, uh uh, uh earlier. And it it's unbelievable. Like Ninety percent of his of, of of his balls were just past the halfway line. He their 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 main tactic was basically to bypass our entire midfield, have it go straight to the strikers or one of the wingers, and immediately distribute to to the forward uh, uh, to the, uh, to the strikers. And what made what made that so so lethal is there was almost no cover for them. There was there was there was rarely ever any cover for uh, uh, for Long and Parker. So basically, as soon as the ball gets back there, not only do they have to deal with that one v one with with the best strike, you know, the best the best strikers they've they've ever they've they've ever faced, but it's not like they had that much like you know any and much cover for them because everyone's now you know basically charging back to 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 fall back to defend, and you know that. I don't. I don't know what other option they really would have had to to fix that. And the second goal actually happened. That uh, happened because of this. If you watch the second goal, they launched it to uh, uh, can't remember his name. Whoever the left winger was, uh, that Co- would have been uh, Marlos Moreno, I think, the Colombian. I think yeah. Was- so Man, the, ball- the Man City guy, by the way, he's on loan from Man City. Oh God wow! I didn't it. know that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it's from 2016, Man City. He's been on the books. So the way that goal basically played out was the ball goes right to to uh, to the left winger, and it 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 bypassed five or six of our guys. All right, he gets it, and you just see a lot of our guys, you know, falling back, and they you do eventually see six of our guys in line, but it's a it's a mishmash. Duncan was basically playing as a center back. Parker was was uh, w- uh, was the one who was actually out wide, basically being the fullback. And they just they just didn't know what to do in that moment. They look. This is why Duncan just looked completely lost. He'd even bother to look behind him. And this is why the guy just ran. He probably just walked right in front of Parker, right into goal because they just they emergency defended in the worst possible way. Because they were caught completely, you know, they were caught completely off guard, and and that's what happened. You know, you, you give up a goal. And I, I think I, I want to talk about a bit more about Jonathan and Roscoe for a bit because, uh, I mean, look, I think um, he's gonna he he drew the headlines for a very justified reason, right? I think like the saves were unbelievable, but I think I think when you factor in the game that he kind of had against us and. This is sort of like uh, one of another one of those things that you don't really come up against too much in MLS, 
and I think something that really highlights the gulf in quality that you may find between um, the talent in MLS and the talent and the best that League MX has to offer is exactly that. It's the precise distribution from the back that they got from your goalkeeper, Jonathan Orozco. I mean, every like so many of those long distance kicks were on a dime. You know, he was putting on a clinic for go- for the importance of goalkeeper distribution because, I mean, I think here in MLS, you know, like uh, you see the average goalkeeper that you go up against doesn't really have much in the way of distribution. Not a lot of guys are really super comfortable with their feet. I think of the uh, goalkeepers in MLS, the best distributors would be Zach Steffen, Tim Melia, and um, I don't know. Oh, we're I think- the barrel. And who's there? We're scraping the barrel at this one because they're not yeah, really even great. Now. Yeah, there, there aren't really a lot of great distributive goalkeepers in MLS, which is why you kind of see a lot of these like um, situations where the goalkeeper the keeper kind of hacks it. We win the ball back in midfield because it's a wayward kick, and we've positioned ourselves in a way that we can start playing header tennis, right, and start creating a lot of second ball opportunities. Here, none of that happened. Like no. as soon as the ball went back to Orozco, like he knew who he was going to be playing it to. Like in a sense, like they had their goalkeeper making up a majority of the playmaking yeah, from the back. And that's crazy. You don't really <laughs> see that a lot in MLS. If you, if I'm being quite frank with you, like what's, that, what's actually, what's crazy is if you look at this, that the, uh, if you look at his distribution chart, um, I want to say, I want to say about 11 of the balls he hit across midfield connected. Yeah. Wow. And that's that's the thing is, that's the other thing as well is that like, like not only was the goalkeeper like hitting it on a dime over long distances, but their fullbacks were too. Uh, That guy, Jose Abeo, when he made that um, switched ball Mm -hmm. over the top that found Furch, I mean, like that just highlights the technical gulf, if you ask me, between academy products. I, yeah. I just want to jump in. I just counted 14, 14 of, of those balls that he launched across the halfway mark landed. I, I who in MLS cool. could do that? All yeah, zero of them. Probably zero. If you ask me, I mean like, uh, like, like again, like all these just go to highlight exactly like the, just the gulf in talent that we're going up against here, where you have goalkeepers who can do that. You have fullbacks who can do that, and you, you're they're feeding it to like literally probably the most potent strike partnership in Concacaf, yeah. if not one of the most. Like they're certainly up and, there. And um, and to the and to the point to the point made earlier uh, uh, by you guys that like about I think it was you Lance who who initially brought up about like kind of just being a cohesive unit and, and how that plays a, an important role. On that second goal, they did such a good job because they. The center back and fullback kind of just briefly play a little bit of uh, um, just a couple of passes here and there, right? It was it was beautiful to see it the way it worked because after about three passes, what they were really doing was they were just drawing our defenders back in. They were basically trying to push us to push the high line on purpose, so that way, at once they saw. Our guys pushing up again, right to the keeper. One, I mean, the, the keeper didn't even collect the ball. As soon as it came to him, he just launched it 
to uh, uh to the winger and then from there that's when the, the when the sequence came that is just being cohesive that's being able to read your players at a high level and understanding the 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 abilities of your attacking uh, of your attacking players to just be able to collect the ball and just uh, distribute so quickly and kind of just transition right to your your strikers and and make things happen and it I have to give them so much credit for that for that uh, for that second goal because they just completely 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 dominated us on that second goal I I'm I'm not even sure how much I'm not even sure if there was a way we could have we could have prevented that. To be completely honest, it was it was absolutely beautiful to watch. Yeah, right after halftime, and I think um, you know I think like um, I mean to, to to kind of prevent this from really turning into like a Santos Laguna podcast, I guess because <laughs> I think we're we're we're, we're, very, we're 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 gushing over this we're gushing over the opposition right, and I think it's it's completely warranted. Like they played, they outplayed us on the day. They looked really fantastic doing it. Um, I think I'm just going to, I have to compliment their professionalism, I think definitely, because they kind of just went out and, and, and this is what I think one thing I want to highlight kind of builds off of this, you know, I think Santos had a lot of things going against them. The flight was delayed. They had all kinds of logistical issues with getting in there, but once they got on the field, they just looked like a complete, they, they got the job done professionally. You know, I think like, Veteran side went out there, kept their heads, started off kind of rough, but then collected themselves and then locked themselves into a groove around the 25th minute and then just watched as we completely self-destructed in the second. And this is kind of like the thing that I found to be personally the most disappointing thing about our performance. wasn't actually anything to do maybe perhaps on the technical side. It had more things to do with the mental maturity of this team. And I think this was probably, this is going to be, I mean, I've been a bit, you know, skeptical sometimes about how much, you know, like you can truly um, attribute to intangibles and all that things. But this is one of those incidences where I really do think intangibles made a difference on today. You know, I think, it's not even about who wants it more or whatever. It was about who was going to be able to keep a cooler head on today. Mm-hmm. And to see the response from the team after getting sucker punched to start the second half was very disappointing on a day. But out like I, a light. Sorry? They were out like a light to me. Yeah, um, they were. I mean, was, like, look. The 55th minute hit, it was over. Yeah, I mean, look. I, I, th- th- this is why I think I said that this game is going to be a learning moment. It's a, definitely a humbling moment for the team, but it's also kind of like a learning moment here is that, mm-hmm. you know, I think when you go up, like you can be the toast of MLS. That's perfectly fine. But kind of resting on your laurels against teams that clearly can't really come up to your level of play isn't going to get you anywhere once you go up against the best of the very best. And I think if, anything this showed and i'm going to be very frank in saying this is that we are still as a as an organization and as a team some ways off from being able to hang with the best in concacaf that partially has to do with the league's regulations on spending i guess but we've done a really good job filling in our roster in spite of those you know i think and that's why i think we kind of have to differentiate that from here i don't really think in context of mls we've done a really great job of doing exactly that, you know, I've got to building push that back team. On that a little but 
sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, sorry. But that's kind of not the point I'm trying to make with this one. I think I want to go back a bit to the mental stuff for a bit Mm -hmm. because this reflects that as a team, we have some bits of mental maturing to do to not completely self-destruct like we did in the second half. Because as soon as Santos got in their heads and got us knocked off their nerve a little bit, we just lost the bottle completely. We ended up beating ourselves, if I'm being quite frank with you. Like, they took us out of the game because we couldn't keep cool enough heads and we lo- and, and we couldn't get ourselves back into it as a result of that. And if there's one thing I think I will also be very frank about is that I was not a fan of seeing Chris Armish just kind of stand there and let the team lose mm. heads. I really yeah. do think that the substitution should have been a bit more decisive. He should have been a bit more assertive in reestablishing authority and command on the field. That's partially down to the players, but it's also kind of down to the manager. But go ahead. Uh, He made the exact same substitutions he always makes, which is Derek Etienne and Andy Ivan. Um, So as a team, when you're seeing your manager defaulting to, and this isn't just as a, you know, as a, kind of critique it's this is the sub he's made he made in columbus he made it in atlanta and he made it tonight it's a big there he and they they did very good jobs when they came on um but as we he's also this is his first continental real strife against um against our other opponents like it it was still i don't want to put much disrespect but it was still very much a a preseason feel we, we went out there. He gave debuts to Omir, to Brian White for Continental Competition. It was loose. It was fun. The mental aspect of this team is something that people will harp on and harp on. It To me, they were still fighting the midfield. You saw Kaku going after everything. Um, but we can't discount that this is the first time this back line has ever played together. Um, right. And they were, they were having arguments because... Obviously, Duncan has played before. He knows the guys, but he missed all of last year. He's only just been training with them for basically um, two months. Um, Laid, we know what that what he is. Um, but these guys, the back line was. I'm going to absolve some of their miscommunications by the fact that they've never played a competitive fixture together. Mm-hmm. So, however, I will. The biggest people I'm going to put on the losing your head um, things and and kind of sulking was Brad and Danny, who seemed to, once their misses in the first half didn't go astray, you seem to feel, especially like, I don't like I don't like calling Brad out for it, but especially from the 50th minute on, your team leader, the best player in team history, is kind of like head down, like turning around, like walking around and pointing, pointing randomly at different things. It's not the best look. It doesn't feel good, and it kind of seeps throughout the team that you know maybe it's not up, we're not up for it tonight. I, I I saw Kaku was trying with all the fire that he had, and he kind of lost it um, in certain aspects. There were there were team play, uh, players on this team that were still up for it, and I still we, we did gloss over talking about Santos and how like good they were. We this team had their number for the majority of the stretches of this game. I felt there was times where this team 
the press and the quality in our midfield and what could be our forwards and our wing and our on our wings was telling. Alex Mule, Alex was up for this game. He just didn't produce well in moments where he needed to. I didn't I didn't see a mental collapse that happened throughout the team until that second goal kind of was a, a gut punch and then just not being able to respond immediately. You felt that the team started it was it wasn't at once, I will say. I do feel like it started the candle started blowing out all across the field. Um and like you mentioned, that's up to the manager to keep your players at some ability hyped and inside the game and to make the subs at moments where you where, where they have the most positivity. Andy Ivan and to his credit, Derek Etienne, who I've never been very high on in the past, played very good football the second that they were both introduced. But there's a problem with what I said there. Both introduced, there was a third sub that was never made. Yes. Um, which to every single person in a must win game, I think you don't always have to use all three subs. Like there's three of them for a reason. Sometimes tactically you can view that you didn't need something. And we had a very restricted bench um, for talent that we could possibly potentially put out. But I'm looking at when your team is starting to lose heart and you're seeing guy and you put on guys that have fight and are ready to go Andy Ivan's been a revelation this year. He's been absolutely he scored the most go- of goals. And what is it? He's had um he's got two, so he would be tied on with Royer. Um, but he's he's had his coming out party um in the past few games. He was up for it. You saw him fighting out there, doing his best and providing crosses and stepovers that challenged the Santos defense in ways that they hadn't been challenged earlier because it was either Alex Mule or not Danny Royer, who was not who would pay, played almost no part, based on I believe a conscious decision not to go down the left attacking wise. Yeah. Um. So I, I look at that and the fact that we didn't use that third sub on literally anybody. Could would have liked to see somebody, um, to run with fresh legs, run with fresh intensity is really the the word the the thing that I think that the team was looking for, because there were there were still candles burning. At when the 90th minute blew, but of the key players that you want to be out there trying and not sulking and giving it their all, we were we were missing some, um, and I, it it hurt. I feel like I feel like I, I've I feel like the 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 mental part has been something that's that's been a problem for years. Um, pretty much every single playoff. If if I'm if, if that I can think of, a, a lot of it comes down to just met or or big moments. A lot of times it's come down to to mental collapse uh, collapses. It's not even just this game. And for me personally, that's I think the most frustrating part is is my groundhog day with this team is mental collapses. We see it. We see that happen so many times, and it's really frustrating. Like it almost doesn't matter like who's on the field, who's the coach. Who's you know what team they're going against? What the score like? It doesn't matter. At some point, I feel like we always see this team just put their heads down or get frustrated and 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 just like tune out and 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 I don't know what I don't know what has to be done at that point. I, I don't know what 
For me, the hump for this team is not a third DP. It's not signing Messi. It's not, you know, and, and not, not, not some $40 million transfer. The hump is mental with this team. It's, it's completely mental with this team. They can't, they can't keep their composure. They can't keep their head straight. They can't just be focused for a full 90 minutes. Even games where they're playing well, just one mental slip up and it costs everything. We saw it against Atlanta last year. Yeah, we, 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 didn't, we didn't even play that bad against him at first leg. It was just three stupid mental fucking mistakes. And I feel like that that's always the case. It, it's always one moment that happens and it collapses. Let me ask you a question, Fernando. Last year, when Tijuana scored, when they opened the game up and when, when, when Tijuana scored, were you like, it's over? We're gonna blow it again. When Tijuana scored in the Champions League last of the year, first, of what the first round of the of the second round when we're playing. Tijuana, I mean, the, the, Tijuana, the, the first leg. I mean, yeah. When when we're playing Tijuana and they score at Red Bull Arena, that they scored the first goal of the match. Were you just like, well, no, because no, because at at that moment they they looked they did. It, it, I didn't get the impression. I didn't get the sense that they were um, that they were kind of getting down to themselves at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that against Chivas. Yeah. The Chivas second leg, when we took 26 shots um, was, was pretty cool. And, um, that was that. And one. the thing too, and, and it's also kind of just like a different situation because going into that, going into that, um, going into that, that second leg against Tijuana, uh, 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 you had a two goal lead at that point. You had two mm-hmm. away goals. So like, you give up one goal, okay, fine, but you're still up to away goals. The, the 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 game was still very much in our hands, and that goal was like I think ten or eleven minutes in. There's so much time left. You're at our house. We saw how well we did against them in their house. I think that's different. The Chivas was totally different because Chivas Chivas at that point we're 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 going into uh, we're going back home down a goal, and and you kind of knew what they were going to do. And you trot out, you know, Jesse trots out this this fucked up lineup that we've we've that I don't even want to get into again, but he trots out this fucked up lineup <laughs> that I don't think put the team in in a good mental mental uh, uh, mental state to begin with. I'm sure Brad couldn't have been fucking thrilled, by, uh, you know, been thrilled about being asked to be a fucking ten that game. So once with that game, once you saw you know forty shots start uh, starting to fucking go by, a million different shots, you could start seeing them getting frustrated. You could start seeing them putting their heads down. You could start seeing them just kind of tune out. That's another game where uh, where I think that happened. But yeah, so it's to me. Yeah. So it's it's just it's frustrating because <clears throat> it 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 happens, just happens all the time. What really bothers me this game was I feel like that happened earlier than normal. And I, oh yeah, and I don't. But yeah. I, but at the same time, I don't know if it's because like, I I guess maybe it's a situation where you know that okay, you look for all the gushing that we did again, uh, we, that uh, that we did for 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 Santos. Look, we played very well. I thought we dominated yeah. them in the first you know twenty five thirty minutes. We went, we had, we went, and, and we dominate in certain portions. Even in the second half, we created so many good chances. Even in the second half, while we were down to nothing, so to me that's a positive. But I got yeah, the sense, I got the sense that they knew the challenge. They knew how good they were, and they knew they would have to fight their asses off 
to, to, to get something and seeing all of those goals, all those chances just not happen, not happen. And then little by little, the miss passes because people are getting frustrated. The miss passes because people aren't not playing slow, not slowing it down as in like just stand there and hold the ball, but slow down in a sense of focus. Don't just get the ball and just fucking kick it somewhere. Collect the ball, think quickly, but think, do something. And you just saw them being frantic. There's a difference between playing fast and playing frantic. They were playing frantic. They were. I think we have to talk about the moment that best emphasizes um, in this game, the moment of panic and being frenzied and lo- and having that mental block was in, at least in this game was we've all thought about it. We've all watched again when Connor Laid receives a wide open ball in the 18 and just to that that look that again that encapsulates to me that encapsulates encapsulates everything you've been saying about this team looks at has this has this very clear tunnel vision that we had that it breaks down at a certain point and to me nothing encapsulated that more than a professional soccer player getting an open net in the 18 um and not putting it on that was in my opinion like legitimately the top five worst shit, like worst shanks I have seen on this. Oh, there's a top five for you. Am I right? Like, (laughs) really? I mean, look, I understand he's a fullback and, and I don't, I know I can, I've complained about him a lot. It's even going back to last year. And and I, I feel bad because I love the dude. The guy gives his heart and soul every single match. When he's asked to do something, he does it. He may not be able to do it at at the level that we need him to, but no one can ever fault him for not trying. He busts his ass, and I have nothing, nothing, nothing but respect for him. That being said, my God, how the fuck, as a professional soccer player, do you miss that? I oh, watching that team was great. Like sitting where we sat, I mm-hmm. thought it just went over. Okay, fine. When that I was a nice that was the world you lived in for a few minutes. Yes, I, I I regret watching that again just because I had to witness that. Because what I actually saw was him somehow sending it like thirty feet to the right of the net, almost into the second deck, while he was to the left half of the goal. I have no idea how he did that. I have no idea. He panicked. panicked. That's the that's the simple, Quint. You we we broke it down. I remember watching it very in depth. He he seems like he's caught in between a service into the box, which made no sense because everyone else would have been offsides, and a shot. And you just look at this as like this poor man who's was he's been the center of some vitriol because. I mean, to be fair, during this game, the team didn't attack down the left side because of the liabilities that this might induce, and it made Connor and Danny Royer not exist in the game plan. Um, but you see, he's got this chance; he's got a, a shot in his attacking hole, uh, the attacking third. He's right there. There's no one around him. He there's literally the box is empty for about five yards around him either side, five or seven yards on either side, and you know, it, we just saw a guy who let demons catch up to him at that moment he panicked like that, and, and yeah, my, um, that, that's wait, that's I'm, gonna, I'm sorry just that that's the kind of miss that like i do at a park when i'm like drunk 
And <laughs> I'm just like, ha ha, look, I just kicked the ball over to that. Like, I just, I understand he's a left back. I get it. And, and, and maybe that moment was just too much. I just, I just don't understand how a professional player, I don't care what position you play, somehow managed to shank that as bad as it was. And, and watching that second half a couple of times after I, that moment was bad for the team. There was a, there was a, a very visible like face of dread. Like they just, they like almost like they knew that was the biggest chance they had had and it was gone. And if that didn't go in, it just wasn't going to be their night. And you, you could just feel, you could feel it by just looking at them. That happened to Chivas too. When there was a scrum on the, on the, on literally the, the, the line in front of the goal, there was a scrum where Tim Parker, like, probably kicked the ball to try and get it in like three or four times. And it was just all over in the Chivas um, goal. And then goal, goal, goalkeeper ended up smothering it um, after like the ball kicked around for a good five or six seconds right on the line there. And I remember just sitting there. I was like, well, I mean, that'll do it. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, that's not that's not, nothing's going in. Uh, I mean, um, I'm not. I don't really think um, like I can really rag on Connor for anything individually on the defensive side this game. No, like, like I think he did his job. He did his job. Yeah. I mean, he shanked the shot, but you know, I mean, that's not really his job to put it in the back of the net as much as you'd like to see that happen. But I think to kind of go back to this idea about uh, you know like franticness and. Uh, just not losing your heads completely. I think like, you know, this is something that'll happen with young teams sometimes, right? Is that they kind of have to learn and grow from these incidences and from the experience they get from going through things like this, you know? And I think that's kind of one of the moments, I think, where the team really kind of just showed its age to a degree. And And the answer here isn't like, maybe not necessarily like, oh, we need more veteran leadership, like as if like, leadership is something that is attached to age like that's that's a very ridiculous proposition if you ask me like this is something where you kind of have to trust that the players will grow and mature as players to a point where they become become a bit more professional about the way they go about doing things but i think what really stuck i think is maybe perhaps being a bit why this may kind of stuck is being a bit disappointing. It goes back to this earlier point, right? Where they've shown in the past they're capable of getting themselves out of this situation. You know, it wasn't just Tijuana where they conceded early but came back to score three. It was also when they responded to the Columbus playoff loss. Mm-hmm. They went down 1-0 and back to Red Bull Arena, bagged three goals. Like, I thought, you know, like, there was... I think maybe... And, and which is why I think this kind of felt a bit like a step back you know, like this was sort of um, something you'd maybe see from the 2016 team floundering around in Montreal. This is something you'd see from maybe the 2015 team panicking, trying to score against Columbus in the dying minutes of the playoff game in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, I think it was unfortunate against, that... Uh, 2017 uh, against uh, Toronto. Yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate that this reared its head again but it does show that in terms of progression that this team still has some growing to do and i think the that's columbus. why sorry that columbus the columbus like 1-0 deficit was one of the most overrated things that i've ever lived through when supporting this fan base <laughs> um but, but i i, I it was no you're you're, you're 
percent right. <laughs> no, it was. I mean, I mean, I mean, it made it sound like we were like. Yeah, I mean, it was a one nil. I mean, one nil is a totally salvageable result. I mean, for any other team. So but, I think what know, made I mean, it. I think what but, made it feel as like bigger than I guess it really was was how negative the the um, the perception was within large portions of the fan base made it seem like it was this massive, near insurmountable, fucking almost impossible thing to achieve because how dare that particular team be able to accomplish that. So yeah, I think that maybe made it a bigger deal than it was, but yeah, one nothing on a road was not- We're going home to Red Bull Arena. Yeah. And it yeah. was just like the world had stopped. And like there's a big contingent that obviously we're going to talk about, like you mentioned with the fan base, that was like the end of the world happens when this team has to play meaningful games. And we see it a lot and we've kind of, we've lived through it. Obviously we've experienced that this team has, has had its issues with its, its growing pains, growing through the system, but we should be very, very clear. The teams of that we've recently come through, from like 2015 to t- to the present in in the, in this era of total of energy drink soccer these are good teams these are good teams that often succeed in pivotal moments the, if if the subscri- the subscription to the theory that this team will collapse if that's a real thing then how did we come from behind an extra time to beat cincinnati to make it to a cup final like yeah, that, that each me must have been like magic couldn't have been the red bulls out there <laughs> and a lot of people like project that this team is the same team that will always that every single team that's ever come out representing this team or this franchise is always the same team which is something that as in like the players will react the same way to adversity the players will react the same way to something happening and they will collapse every yeah. single player is the same player and when i you see that and feel that it doesn't make any sense because we're playing in an age where this is the best team that's ever that in the history of the Eastern Conference. From this time period now, we have we have the most points average. We have the best home record. And I, I look at all the, the different outcrafts, especially after the Columbus game. And it's like when this team used to lose in the playoffs, when it was the lowest seed every time against good teams, that when in a 12 team league. Those results are no longer applicable now that I think we've all had private conversations before in person and just in general about how once 2015 hits in Major League Soccer in general, that this this league and how serious competitions are taken has grown exponentially. And by projecting the failures of a 12 team tin pot, tin pot NASL cosplay league, onto <laughs> I don't think how that's fair and that's massively disrespectful in my viewpoint, the players and the results that are being put in right now. Yeah. I, no, I, I think, I, I think um, um, uh, to maybe prevent like really from getting a bit too far away from uh, like yeah. the original intent of the segment um, is that I think ultimately like I, I'm with you in this one, like we can't really go out pretending like Eric Soler is still the sporting director <laughs> and fucking Hans Bach is on the sideline. Right. I think like at the end of the day, like this is what I mean that the recommendation going forward is that you kind of have to trust that they're going to grow and they're going to learn from moments like this. You know, it's not really so much an indictment of what we're doing as a club, 
or it's not really a means that we're trending in the wrong direction or whatever. I mean, it just means that a really, really good team went up against another really, really good team and dropped the clanger. And you have to trust that they're going to come back from that. You know, I mm-hmm. think like this, the, uh, like this is, there's a point where the fatalism kind of has to, where, where I kind of have to draw a line with the fatalism. Yep. You know, like if you truly believe that things are going to be different at this organization, some people are going to call you foolish. Some people will say this team hasn't broken you enough times yet. Look, I mean, there are enough things going on here that this new generation of fans feel excited about. And that's a simple fact. I think Tom hit and hit the nail on the head when it said that a lot of this is just, I mean, to be frank, projection. It's mm-hmm. people taking, bringing their shit and trying to force it upon the new kids on the block. Look, and th- th- it's th- not gonna, th- always going to be like that. But after I 71 think, points, yeah. yeah, 71 points. Yeah, look, and, and um, just real quick, this team went against an incredibly very, very, very good team. And we held our own. We created so many chances. Even when we were down to nothing, we were creating chances. You can only do that if you're a good club. You can only do that if you have a good roster. And you can only do that if you have a, a, a good team. Any previous team from the past wouldn't even be in this position. Period. That's a fact. We didn't make that. And and if they were, they would have gotten decimated. Seven, eight, nothing or were. It would have been a bloodbath. So we can take pride in saying that, you know what? The game didn't go our way. Yes, they missed chances early on. Maybe some of that is is lack of sharpness because, you know, this is basically the – beginning of our season versus their 11 we can you could attribute that attribute that to various things but you could still take pride in saying you know what we went toe to toe with a very good team and a better league probably a better team top to bottom and we still held our own there's nothing to yeah. be shamed about yeah here's the thing and it's colored in with the results from the rest of the MLS teams in CCL right i mean like the other team that's sort of in the, that we're Putting in the same tier as us in MLS, Atlanta went to Monterey and they got binned four nil, and didn't look remotely competitive. But um, that to, to kind of like I think I'm I'm going to try and wrap up discussion of leg one by introducing our new segment, and we're gonna and this is sort of like a new thing that we've thrown up where it's you've kind of maybe heard it in other podcasts. It's uh, where we kind of single out like a players who I think did well and players who I think maybe we didn't. So this is going to be a new segment called stock up, stock down. And judging from the segment and the name of the segment, can you tell that I am going to be working at a bank because I sound like a hedge fund manager saying this, but <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the fact that, so how is it going to work <laughs> is that I think we're just going to go through the list of performances and we're just going to single out a bunch of names and give some justification for why they either stood out or why they kind of didn't get the job done for us. So for me, I'm going to give a stock up to Cal Duncan because I thought he looked really, really good out there going up against very talented wingers um, and generally looked like he belonged for the most part. I think it's very impressive for a guy who, um, you know, people kind of had some doubts about because, oh, is he, does he have big game experience or whatever coming in, mostly doing a good job against a very good team. So Kyle Duncan gets a stock up for me. Um, stock up will go to Andy Ivan, I think, and Derek Etienne, but particularly Andy Ivan, because I think the Andy Ivan redemption tour is on. You guys, uh, yet another pretty decent showing off the bench for him. 
Um, I really do think he kind of makes a case to assert a starting spot sooner rather than later. And I think uh, there's potential there with him. Uh, as for stocks, stock downs, I'm going to, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be too harsh. Um, I'm going to give a stock down to Danny Royer. Um, I think it's a bit unfortunate that, and I'm going to be delving, I think, a bit into this later when we talk about um, preparing for the second leg. But I think, it, like, when Connor Laid plays, like, we're going to need someone out there on the left, I think, who kind of offers more of an outlet than Danny Royer does. Because Danny is a very potent off-ball player, but he's not going to be able to do anything on the ball for you. So it shuts down that left side of the midfield completely. And it kind of showed in this last game. And I'm also going to give a stock down, unfortunately, to our center back pairing, Aaron Long and Tim Parker, because I think they just got kind of thrown out of sorts this game uh, for reasons that we discussed earlier. And stock down, I think, to Chris Armas. I think uh, I'm not really... I'm disappointed in Chris. I thought this was uh, probably the worst managed game we've seen from him since the NYCFC derby, where we lost 1-0. But his first game, to be fair. Yeah, his first game, to be fair. But generally, the body of work in between has been decent enough where I think he'll be able to come back from this. And it's a learning experience for the manager as well. You know, like they kind of have to learn from moments like this to kind of become better managers as well, to understand game states better, to understand when to give players a leash and when to pull it back a bit. You know, And I think this was one of those games where that showed. So those are my stock ups and stock downs. I'm going to throw it over to you guys. Um, so my stock up is definitely going to be Duncan. Um, I that was an absolutely brilliant defensive performance by him. I, I he was he was like the right back version of Tyler Adams, where he was just kind of everywhere, um, interceptions, uh, winning the ball, then winning the ball again. I mean. Watching him, watching a game a couple times, that was that was an A plus defensive performance. Not so much in the passing and connecting. I think that kind of just comes with time. Um, you know, he he did miss more than half the season last year, so you know he kind of has to 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 get that sorted out. But man, he was. I, I made my prediction that Amir that that he would be the starting right back by the end of I think it was April. I am totally 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 sticking by that after tuesday um another stock up is gaku i he he has looked phenomenal so far in his role of creating goal scoring chances so far in, in 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 the games that he's played he looks he looks like he's like he's he's looking like the player from 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 the first half of last season um, he's, he's well, that was Argamara. That was a different player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's definitely being used differently. He's being used a lot closer to where he was in the beginning of last year. Um, but he's been he's been unbelievable. I am so excited to see him in an MLS game. I you have no idea. Um, and then I guess my third stock up, um, would be I kind of nobody i i i, I don't know I, I think those for me those were the, the 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 two oh i guess ivan ivan i thought did really well yeah i 
I'll, I'll give my sock up to Ivan. He's um he's another one this year where I think so far, pretty much every single time he's come out, he's looked good. He was one of the best looking attacking players on the field at that time. So yeah, I think there's a case to be made that that he could be uh kind of knocking on the door for a starting spot. Where it gets complicating is who is he going to take that spot over because there's Matthias waiting behind all this for a spot. Yeah, um, a, a quick housekeeping for me is that I was just going to say that like uh, you can give as many or as little as you want, really. Like there's okay. no set, set rule. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah, so you know what? Then I'll give another one to, to Etienne. I thought he came on again and looked really looked. He looked he looked great. Um, not that many complaints. He 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 went in there and, and he looked like he he gave a boost. He gave some momentum. Makes it frustrating that the subs didn't happen earlier. It would have been awesome to see uh, uh, Fernandez maybe come in as a third sub. But um, yeah, I'm gonna give it to Duncan, Gaku, Ivan, and Etienne. I thought those four guys were were here. They they really showed uh, they showed well. Stock down is first and foremost Kamar's knee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that fuck your knee Kamar like seriously god damn it man <laughs> um, uh, the second um, stock down is going to be Kamar's ghost um, because there is a ghost there's a ghostly void that 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 fills in anytime uh, Wade has to start um, and then from there it's it's going to be uh, Parker and Long that was the most god all that was the most god awful center back match I saw for this team since Orlando of last year. This, this was Parker and Long's Orlando. Mm, yeah. Now, totally different circumstances, obviously, but in terms of just how god awful it was, yeah, it was it was it was absolutely horrendous. Um, I'm gonna have to give it to 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 to, to Chris too. Um, I'm a big supporter, of Chris. I, I I I have a lot of faith in him. I he earned a lot of points for me last year, but those subs got to come in earlier. He's got to be more decisive with those subs, and you got to use all three men. I could see if we didn't have another decent attacking option off the bench, but we did. I mean, Fernando. I think Fernandez. I, I think has shown pretty well so far in the times he's played. It's probably a big leap for him against a club like Santos, but you know what? Fuck it. What do you have to lose? You got to score a goal. Do it. Um, and and Rizzo. Rizzo was kind of poor. That uh, he was kind of poor that game. Uh, he, he he wasn't really connecting passes. Uh, he got burned a couple of times. He allowed himself to get pulled uh, to get pulled away in situations where maybe he shouldn't have. I Rizzo's the kind of guy where he's like that veteran midfield presence that I expect to make the smarter moves positionally and, and, and stuff like that. I felt like he kind of just got exposed for, for not looking like that veteran that I kind of, you know, hold him up to be. So yeah, that's my stock down. And Tom, okay. um, stock ups, um, been touched on before. Um, my biggest stock up would have to be Kaku, um, our current club America Loney. Um, did a fantastic, did a fantastic job showing out and really showing everybody who's ever been like, well, maybe Kaku's not that great because we've heard those posts. He, he, instead of, he's finally made himself a different. Uh, he made a difference today. Um, in every way, he was almost any ball that was remotely in the midfield. Kaku was nearby it. 
He was putting on per- picture perfect passes. He was doing everything that you want to see him do and what we brought him into the club to do. Um, so first stock up, definitely Kaku um, of all uh, of for his performance. Um, second stock up is going to be uh, Andy Ivan. Um, he's been um, and it's not I, I'm, I'm including not just the Champions League game, but just in general this season. Andy Ivan has kind of broken out. Um, he's much more than just a step over merchant, which is what people kind of worried about last year. Um, but we've we've seen him even in counting even the Atlanta um, home playoff game. He's come in and added a fire and a kind of skill tenacity that you don't really don't really have um, that we haven't seen in that um, viewpoint. And now that he's got a preseason under his belt, he's been performing superbly across across the board. Um, his stock's only going up. Um, and as as to, just to echo you guys, he's going to make decisions very tough. Um, come once we kind of round out of U.S. Open Cup season and hit the hit the finals the the full stretch of uh, major league soccer season um i'm gonna drop another um stock up here on sean davis mm. i think he played a good game i think he showed he showed that he was up for the game in in my just look viewing at it from my perspective sean davis was in every challenge he was ready for every, he was ready for things, and he showed very good leadership capabilities, um, backing up Kaku in certain areas and being there for his for for teammates. Maybe not his peak performance, but I look at this as as a continual slow build to an eventual Sean Davis um, captaincy that I I believe is is going to be warranted sometime in the future, and I believe him playing these games him. This is 31st non-MLS regular season um, game. Um, he's he's up there with he's right behind Brad and Luis. Wow. He's he's the backbone of this of this team, and I think the the franchise goes as Sean Davis um, runs the midfield. Um, I'm very I was very proud of him the past few games, and I it's 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 a subtle um, stock up, um, but I will give it to him. And my last stock up. I'm going to give to someone who didn't play but has shown his worth um and punched through and that's Omir Fernandez. Hmm. Um he has in his performances and his time being signed as a draft pick and just someone who was just playing college uh, soccer last year, he's just knocked through the door. He, he had a great game against Columbus to the point where we we're openly asking why wasn't a young kid who has two professional games under his belt, two or three professional games under his belt. Why wasn't he put in one of our biggest games of the season? We're like generally having this conversation asking about Omir and why wasn't he thrown in? That's a good point. So I, I look at his, his stock rising as a tell as a tell that we know what we're doing when we scout players and bring players in to the first team from our youth programs and just knowing who can be there? We saw him in Columbus. Columbus identified him as a problem, and they were fouling him hard the whole game. Yeah. I looked at that, and I was just like, I, I like that. I see that. He, and he never gave up. He kept going at it. So I'm going to put a stock up for him as well. Um, stocks down. Um, 
I'm going to start with uh, Tchaikovsky. Um, I did not like um, it's it's something that I've had like in the back of my head when we're playing a bigger and physical team and the midfield has him and Kaku in it. It's not always going to be perfect. Um, and as the game went on and as the need for him to press and deny passing lanes kind of decreased and for him to get forward and move and kind of create something in the attack increased, there felt a void in product in productivity and actual ability. Um, that's what I witnessed with Tchaikovsky, um, which was a bit tiresome because I know going back to this before, he's a key component of a lot of armor squads and he's a very key rotation and, and starting player or, or impact sub that Chris likes to use. Um, seeing him struggle, um, especially in the second half, um, being relatively anonymous was um, telling. And he, I felt like when he got the ball near, near the box, he would, he we're used to him um, lining up and taking a big shot, um, which we saw against Sporting Kansas City. And we've seen before as Riz has been like a guy to be like, step up, take that shot from outside. We didn't see it. Um, we just saw him kind of like dribbling around with his feet, look around kind of with his head and then like dish it off to somebody. Um, so I was uh, worried about that. Um, my next stock down is going to be maybe a controversial one, but I'm going to give it to Brad um, for a stock down for this game mm. um, and kind of a carryover. Um, in this, this game, I felt at least one of those chances in a big moment in the one of the, in a big game. Um, obviously my personal narrative is the narrative that, that Brad doesn't score in big games is not true. Um, but I will point out that this game, especially that first chance where you're one-on-one with the keeper, you're one on, you, you've received a perfect pass from Kaku. You're not off sides. You've got space. It's a good save, but you expect the best striker that your franchise has really ever seen to, to make that. And I felt, especially towards the end, Brad started slowing up, um, which is very worrisome to me. Um, he felt like he was giving his all on that on some runs, and like the defenders were just like, "Yeah, we're still here with you, buddy. Like you're not getting past us." Um, the guile wasn't really there. Um, obviously preseason, um, uh, still relatively. We've only played one real regular season game. We've Brad still hasn't played in Major League Soccer game yet this year, but I looked at it and I was very concerned. Uh, the sulking bothered me. Um, that's the guy who has his number retired right there while he's still playing and he's kind of there kind of like uh on the field not that I, I get strikers are like that i get that that's that's a thing but i'm going to have to give us for at least this game i, I can't be, i can't absolve him of of all blame um i'm going to give Brad a um stock down um and the next one um, I might give I'm gonna give one more to Tim Parker. I felt that he was um at fault perhaps the most. He looked quite um there were many times where I was just like, where is Tim? Like what's he doing? How's he doing it? What's the process here? Um he looked definitely um flustered at various times. Um and it's not something you wanna see um for a guy that we we shelled out money for because we are uh, 
obviously because of MLS's weird roster rules, which is, you know, God bless them, Garbs. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of – I looked at Tim, and I was just like, this is your big test. You've got – and we, he's not innocent from the Atlanta series, uh, if we go back to that as well. He scored a goal, obviously, um, but um, he wasn't innocent in that, in that last goal. Um, so I look at Tim, and I'm just he's this is his first. It was his first year last year, his first real season with a big club. Um, not his first final experience because if the Canadian Championship is a real thing that exists, <laughs> but I, I, I um look at that and I'm just like you know Tim, like you and Aaron were supposed to step up. Um, you were you were leading you guys are the anchors of a backline that hasn't played together. That's playing third and fourth choices across the board. Um, seeing him be lost and on islands and going forward and just losing his mark um, wasn't what I like to see. Um, I do not, I'm not going to drop a stock down on Chris Armis. Um, I have said before that if you want a good parameter of what Chris Armis is going to be um, and develop from as a, as a head coach in, in, in this league in big games, it's not the Atlanta series that you're going to look at. It's not the Columbus series. Um, it's going to be this one. This has been, this is, uh, we've been talking, it's a good team, but he's not going to be out tactic. He's not facing a super genius on the tactical side. He's facing someone who's a um, very much a basically Mexican champion, Champo bin man who got bounced up to assistant because of his dad being a Chivas legend. And he, then he's kind of worked his way. He was an Academy director before at, um, um santos before he got the job um i don't view this uh, this is a game a game that tactically armis he's got himself he's got dennis he's got very capable got coaches this is the series that i've i've if 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 it's me i'm gonna look at armis back i'm gonna learn a lot about how you make adjustments and how you prepare a franchise for a big game right here in the in the in this especially down going away. We're going to learn a lot about Chris Armas, the coach. Um, that's not just memes. That's not just like hand gestures. That's not slapping a desk. We're going to learn Chris Armas, the, the soccer coach um, is going to be on display. I, I will say, I will, I was not, I'm not saying I'm not frustrated by his, by the lack of subs and like the lack of fire and getting at them. But, you know, it's at home. Maybe he's like, okay, we're at home. We we bury teams at home, to quote our famous saying. Like, I, I get it. I'm not on the thing to be like, give him a stock down fully just yet because it, it is, it's only halftime. Right. Um, at, at the, at the, and when it boils down to it, it's only halftime. We've got another game. Um, and I look at this and say, like, Chris Armis, your next game, fair or not, I'm going to, I'm going to, you can start to form an opinion on Chris Armis, the soccer coach that we can detach from Chris Armis, the player, very good player, fantastic player to Chris Armis, the assistant to now Chris Armis taking over last year, still running a ship. That was very much a hybrid of Jesse Marsh's ideas and Chris Armis. Now we're going to find out what Chris Armis is. Um, it's very early in the season. Obviously he can adapt, he can adapt and develop, but you have core principles that show when you're under stress and when you're in a big game environment and you're playing in this high stress environment that we're going to see that against Santos at their home stadium, Estadio Corona. Um, yeah. It's, it's going to be when, 
if of all of all the performances we've seen with Chris Armis, this is it. Yeah. This is when we start making we start making decisions how we perceive Chris as a as a football coach for this franchise. Going I think forward. that's very well said, actually. And uh, with that, we're actually going to move into discussion for the second leg and maybe talk about what has to change for us to uh, climb this mountain that's been put in front of us. And the tweet that I sent out for, uh, asking for questions for this episode, I think that's exactly what it is. You know, um, if we really believe that things are going to be different, and I know that some people are probably going to be a bit skeptical when I say this, is that there's a mountain in front of you, and it's there to be climbed. And we're not going to be, um, what is it? We're not really so much interested, I think, on this podcast for saying that we shouldn't even bother climbing a mountain to begin with. But rather, we're going to be focusing on this episode about talking about what they need to do to conquer, to get to that mountaintop. And I think a lot. I think I'm going to open discussion on this particular facet by talking about how I think there's perhaps a bit of a discussion that's starting up about maybe blurring the lines between um, the way that the squad has been selected. I think in the past. Because I think if you saw under Jesse Marsh and you see now under Chris Harmis is that there seems to be a bit of a conceptualization that there's a clear A team and there's a clear B team, right? And I think when you have to make certain personnel decisions, and this is something that I've kind of been an advocate for in the past, I've kind of wanted to see more situational deployment of certain players to take advantage of matchups in a certain way. Because I think the underlying tenet that ties our philosophy together is this idea that every man on the pitch has the same basic tactical DNA. When they start at a certain position, they understand how to move and they'll understand how to, they understand how to move in accordance with the other men on the pitch. You know, there are certain reactions and there are certain movements to the way that the press functions and that's the, and that's the DNA that ties everyone who plays a certain position together. But what kind of can't differentiates, I think the players at different players in the same position group is that they also still have different technical or physical attributes that differentiate themselves from other players who play the same position as them. Like, I think you'd definitely say that Florian Velo is a bit more of an adept passer than Alex Muehl. But you also say that Alex Muehl is a more of a very like tenacious presser and a harder worker who offers more of a physical presence than Florian Below does, right? Simply because of his engine and because of his motor. This is sort of something that I've kind of wanted to see is that you don't have this... I'm, I'm trying to maybe suggesting here is that when certain players are put into the lineup out of necessity like Connor Lade, it doesn't necessarily mean that you go out and start Danny Royer in the left wing with him. Especially now, since after the Columbus game showed that our reserves and our deep reserves have options that provide something different to what the incumbents provide. You know, like, I think maybe when Connor starts on the left, at left back, you kind of need to put someone on the left wing who can be more of an on-ball outlet. You know, like maybe this isn't a Derek Etienne or an Andy Ivan one of those players, you know, like someone who can offer more of an on-ball outlet than Danny Royer does. Like Danny Royer maybe is a player who you can play out there in the left wing when Kamar Lawrence is playing because 
Kamara's ability to cover the amounts of ground that he does allows Danny Roy to go out and play his his off-ball game a bit more. He can go out and poach without having to worry about covering up in defense. And this is sort of like what I mean by, I think, the team needs to start thinking about maybe the way we deploy players in a lineup to take advantage of certain game state situations or circumstances. You know, I think we can't really be so fixed on there being a fixed 11. And then when someone drops out because of injury, it becomes the second best option in the other 10. I don't think it should be working like that anymore. And I think, because I think genuinely, now you have a very deep roster where, like I said, you have a variety of alternatives that you can deploy. And they all kind of have the same fundamental DNA inside of them in terms of their movements and their in terms of their movements and reactions in context of the press. They can start kind of thinking of um, deploying these players in a more robust way. And what I think should happen if in the event that, you know, say Kamar Lawrence still isn't ready to go and you have to play Connor Laid. But I think this may not even happen because I think it seems that Kyle Duncan may be starting out there in the left if Kamar isn't ready to go. So... They're still, that's its, its own thing on itself, is there? But we also have to know that as much as certain players take away certain things when they're played, you can compensate for that by introducing other players who add something to make up for that, as opposed to kind of just letting that left wing shut down completely because you have two players out there in the left who can't really do much in the ball. And I think this is one sort of area that I want to highlight as one potential area of exploration. And what I may want to see from Chris Armas going into the second league in Torreon is thinking yeah. about more robust, sorry, no, more matchup specific deployments of players. And I th- and that, so I, oh. and that's I, something Armas has struggled with, to be honest. Um, if you just look at his whole thing. Um, he's very he's very dogmented in deploying, um, which is, I guess, part of your critique there, Lens, is that Armis has basically picked an 11 that he's going into these knockout games with. And he's picked a sub, he's picked his subs, and that's what it is. Because um, we've seen it before. Um, there, there's been very little in the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven knockout games that he's been in charge of there's been besides injury road besides necessary necessi- necessitated injury or yellow card suspension um there's been no real change besides tyler adams leaving I, so let me just start by saying i definitely agree with the premise of of their needing to not be a clear a and b team um I think this year is interesting because as good as as good and deep as our team was last year, if you really run down a list of like, especially our attacking options, we're definitely deeper than we were last year. Ivan is like noticeably better than he was last year. He was kind of just like there and, you know, he's an option. Now it's even you guys admitted, you know, that he if he continues this way, he he might have to start getting a look for for you know possibly getting some starts. Um, Fernandez has been playing well so far for for being 
you know, and, and completely new to to this professional level. Uh, Velo looked great in Columbus, and he was our primary starter the first half of last year. Um, then there's Matthias. Oh, Etienne has looked uh, looked a little bit better in, in the times he's come he's come up this year. Um, then you have you have Matthias just waiting now to to get minutes. And based on just the comments from Chris and, and Dennis, I definitely get the impression that the the intent is to use him. This is not going to be a Verone situation where he's just going to be coming off the bench in the 70th, 80th minute, and and like that's it. He's going to be used. So it, it's going to be scoring in the 70th minute, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> but it, <laughs> it, it but it's going to be interesting because now you're going to see guys actually pushing, and now that you have such people have to remember almost an entire month has been cut off of the MLS regular season. The regular season ends like the beginning of Mar- of uh, beginning of, uh, of October. I think it is. So it's, you're going to have a lot tighter MLS schedule congestion. You still have us open cup, which I think we are definitely positioned to make a very, very, very strong run given the depth so I think you're going to see um, just some natural rotation. I think this is the kind of depth that you want. You want, I mean, we have a good five, six wing, uh, five, six, you know, outside midfielders who can push for for starts, and we have the scheduling now that facilitates that. So I don't think that's necessarily going to be a problem. Um, and I and I very much look forward to it. I, I think we are going to see that. There, there's no way you can have a guy like Ivan playing the way he's playing and just not get minutes, or or you know Etienne showing well and just not getting minutes, and and you know going down the line of guys we've mentioned. Um, and that's just on that's just on, on the attack side. There's there's you know other positions that that we have to consider too. That being said, I'm I'm. A, I'm going to slightly push back though on this whole idea of like him having this structured, you know, uh, 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 like subs. Um, I don't think that's really much different than pretty much any coach. I mean, you look at the game against Columbus. We had, uh, we had Riza, Ivan, Etienne and white on the bench. If you're pushing for a goal, you're not going to, you're not going to put, Escobar in there. You're not going to put Lee. You're not going to, you know, like you're going to put an attacker. You're, you're going to put someone who needs to help with the attack to get a goal. If, if, if you need someone like Etienne speed, you're going to put Etienne in. If you need someone like Ivan who needs a little bit of flair, you're going to put Ivan because Ivan has like you guys, like you guys said, you have to look at the skill sets of each individual player. So if you're if if you need a little bit more creativity, you're gonna put Ivan in because out of those guys, who's the most creative player that you could possibly put in? Ivan. So you're gonna put him in. If you feel like you need just a little bit more speed to maybe run at the uh, uh, at, at some tired defenders, Etienne's the fastest guy on the bench. You're gonna put him in. That's that's a logical substitu- substitution to make. I don't think there's anything you know, necessarily wrong with that. If, if, if you're, if you're in a lead and you want to hold, you know, you, you want to hold the result down. I mean, Jesse did this. Jesse's the, the, the creator of this weird three slash five in the back system that you use. You're going to put in one of your defenders. You're not going to put Etienne in. You're not going to put Ivan in. You're not going to put white in. You're going to put a defender. So I, I just, I, I think I understand 
that like sometimes his subs, I don't always agree with his timing of his subs, but I don't think there's, I don't think there's really much room to complain about the actual subs that he does. I mean, you're limited to who's on your bench. And if you are looking for a certain thing, you're going to put that player, you're limited to what, what player you can kind of put in there. It is more of an observation of, of just, I mean, especially like last year, Every the first sub in every playoff game was Derek at the end, um, and it's just falling into that sort of predictability. Is but obviously last year we were decimated with injuries, um, and so it's it's more so something that I've noticed as a trend that's curious, um, more so than just like maybe this is bad. I will say. Um, as far as our adjustments, I don't think he makes anything dynamic. I think we're still going to see Royer out there to start. Um, we're still going to see basically everything. The only thing that should change um, will be Mario back on the on the right, which means Duncan plays on the left if all is good and holy in the world, which allows us to actually use our the left-hand channel. Um if for whatever reason um Armis goes with Laid again, that'll be That's a problem. <laughs> that'll be that'll be a, that'll be an issue. Um uh, uh because it wants it cancels out Danny Royer, and that's not Danny's fault. Um I do believe that there's gonna be we're, there's gonna be minimal change. If the the only player I could players I see in jeopardy of being um maybe switched would be Tchaikovsky and Royer. I don't think they're going to take uh, Alex out. Um, I think Tchaikovsky might be, if they want to go with another forward, which they might. Brian White has been injured. We should, we should point this out, that Brian White has picked up a knock. So he has not been available, um, more or less. So I don't, I don't think they would start if they wanted to, I don't. I don't believe. I'm just talking about in a hypothetical situation. Um, who could? Who would you see getting moved around as far as churned in, in the lineup? The only two ones would be Danny Royer. I don't. I think that's not realistic. Uh, and or Tchaikovsky, who they might, if Falo is healthy, maybe him. If Falo's not in the 18 again, um, which I was surprised he wasn't in the at least the 18. For Santos, um, if Falo's not in the eighteen again, um, I'm not happy. Um, but we'll see. Obviously, his knee injury is less further on or less or later in the season than Kyle Duncan was. I, I was willing to give. I, I was definitely annoyed at first about Velo, but after thinking about it, I'm com- I'm pretty okay. I, I would have preferred Velo to have been in the game. Let me just start by saying that definitely. At the same time. If we're going to believe in our depth, then mm-hmm. we have to believe that you can heavily rotate a lineup, have one very good guy kind of anchoring that rotate a lineup, which I think Velo was for that game. I really think he was kind of like that that anchor in the attack that game. Oh, that pass to Ivan to, to, to open up the scoring was yeah, yeah. And at this, but and at the same time, you know, rely on on other attacking options that even we agreed have shown well to be on the bench for Santos Laguna. So like they're, 
if if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna uh, have this idea that that there can't be clear A and B when C lineups, and that we need to have heavy, you know, we need to have real rotation, then we need to have belief in that depth. And I think Velo, I think Velo starting against Columbus and not being in the 18 in this game is almost a test because look at, we praise Ivan. Ivan did very well. Etienne did very well. He, I, I, I fault Chris for not using the sub, but I mean, just from what I've seen on Fernandez, he probably would have done pretty well too. Could we have used Velo? Sure. But now we're almost falling into that trap of, well, he should be the first, he should be the first choice all the time because, because it's Velo. So you're, 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 it's, it's easy to kind of fall back into that trap of creating these first choice, second choice, third choice. If we're truly to believe that we just have a pot of good players to pick from, then we have to trust when certain players are picked for one game and other players are picked for other games. We have to trust in that. We well, have to believe in that. Well, actually, now, now, but hold on. Now that now that's just for this for this particular example, just because of schedule congestion. Now we have a week before our next game, so Velo should be mm-hmm. healthy, or hopefully he's healthy, but he should be rested. Um, maybe Kamar comes back, but now you basically have a re, a recouped. Uh, uh, basically full team. So now you can, you can, I, I feel like Volo is someone who should be in the 18 because he is, in my opinion, uh, someone who probably should be starting over Mwil. But in this, in, the, in, in, in congested matches, when you're rotating, I think, again, if we're going to be pushing this idea of, of there not being decisive, you know, first, second, third choice guys, we have to trust in that rotation. We have to. Well, this is where I think it kind of goes back to what Tom was talking about earlier when it's, when it said, when he says that this is kind of um, where you kind of get a sense of Chris Armis's like um, where you get a sense of Chris Armis as a manager is going to be in incidences like this. And I think, while it's true that, I mean, on the one hand, it's only four games into the season. I think it's, and it's still too kind of early to like draw any like real decisive conclusions about anything. I think while it's true that you do need to give some benefit of the doubt, because I think he has earned some benefit of the doubt in terms of his uh, player selections, there will come a point where I will be a bit concerned if like certain players start getting into the lineup over others, even though they haven't necessarily warranted it, you know, where, Definitely, of where like, mm-hmm. I think this, that this particular point kind of highlights I think it's true that we can't, we have to, to a degree at this moment in time, trust that the coaching staff has evaluated the players properly and is selecting certain players for one reason or another over the other, because we don't exactly know like what goes on behind the scenes or even what the rationale may be for choosing certain guys in the lineup from lineup on a weekly basis. I can say that it's inconclusive now, four weeks into the season, but say where we've moved deeper into the season now and certain players still continue to be over other guys despite a lack of production or say someone comes off the bench, produces well, but still can't break the starting 11 because they're fixed on a certain 11. Like say maybe July or June, um, Florian Velo, for example, balls out 
and someone in the st- and has made a case where he should be getting minutes over a guy in the starting eleven, but that change isn't made. That's where I start to get a bit alarmed about the competence of the manager. It's not. I'm not at that point yet. Is what I was going to say, and I think the selection and there's still enough. I think room for me to be reasonably um, to be reasonably comfortable, I guess, or maybe reasonably at ease, depending on what Chris Armas decides to throw out there in Torreon, like in his 18, or even in his starting 11. And I think, particularly with this, I think selection issue with regards at the left back spot. I think a lot of the same reasons that resulted in Connor Laid being selected in Atlanta are still kind of relevant in 2019 because there hasn't been that much like time or distance away from that Atlanta series where the status quo has really changed that much. Now you have a potential alternative at that left back spot in both Cal Duncan and Amrotarek. Cal Duncan, I think, may potentially be a bit more further along than Amro is, you know, for example. So there's potentially more of a case where Duncan may be starting over late at left back. If I see that on Tuesday, I think I'd be very comfortable with the manager, you know, because you have a viable alternative now that Amir's coming back and may will probably be starting at right back, right? If I see Cal Duncan over Connor late at left back, I'm, you know, I think I think that shows good about Armis's competence as the manager if that decision is being made. But now this is a big question for me is like Tom said, it's a big show of Chris Armis as a manager that you give him all these alternatives and that with a roster this deep, once you get all the weapons that Jesse Marsh had available to him for most of 2018 before all the injuries and all the international call-ups is when you're really going to get a sense of what Chris Armis wants this lineup to be. And I think at this point in time, I think he's kind of hinted at this idea that it may be Cal Duncan that left back, you know, starting out there Torreon and they're going to go for it. And, you know, that's exactly the type of shit that I would want to see. You know, I think we can't go into Torreon playing shook. We know we need three goals. So it's why, like, I think like there was an, there was a point where I was um, considering, is this a, is this a moment where you play three in the back to kind of counter the threat of Furch in Korea? And that's when I realized it's kind of not like you kind of need to go out there attacking from the go. You kind of need to go out there, try and get an early goal and settle them and just keep on being relentless. And we don't really do that with three in the back because three in the back is more of a defensively stable formation for when we're trying to lock down a game as opposed to could, with long being a former midfielder. I guess you um, could. Then, it, then it's nihilists or Nielsen Parker or Amro and Parker against a team that's going to go for it at home. Yeah. So, you know, like that's like, that's like maximum clench with maximum possible reward. Yeah. And and that's why, like I was going to say, like, this is that, that's kind of that risk mitigation thing here is that while you do have an option, that's a bit theoretically more suited to countering the threat that Santos Laguna is going to throw at you in Torreón. I don't think we win the game by countering threats. I don't think we win the game by reacting to our opposition. I think we win the game by forcing our opposition to react to us. 
And that's why I kind of think that a lineup tweak would involve playing Kyle Duncan at left back instead of Connor Lade so you can play that higher line and start pushing everyone further up the field to bring that a bit of that relentlessness in the press, you know? And that's kind of that's one of the things that I, I want to see on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I think I think for just to kind of briefly go back to what I was saying before, that the Columbus and, 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 and this first leg, I think were tests as far as how he's going to kind of just manage a little bit of congestion. The big test is going to be this next game because there's a week in between and then our next game isn't until the isn't until that weekend. So there's enough days after that to kind of, you know, rest up and, 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 and recover. We are forgetting something. And that is that Santos play Vero Cruz on Friday. Hmm. They have a game. We do not. We are free to go. We have a whole week to prepare. We have no issues, no problems, just rest and recuperation. Yeah. Santos play. Um, yeah. And this has been something that's kind of got lost in the shuffle. Their fixture congestion over these past few days and their travel situations has been very difficult to even comprehend. Um, and we are going to see they're because they're, they're playing, I believe they're playing away at Veracruz. Um, so they have to fly. They flew directly to Veracruz, I believe after the game or, or almost immediately after it, um, within 12 hours after the game. And they've got to fly there. They've got to get back, um, to their home ground. They've got to get back on unpack after this wild journey and get ready for us on a full, we're going to be on a full week's rest. How they yeah. play against Veracruz is something that I believe all of us should be watching. They, they're they not really known for major rotation um, from what I've seen in the past games, but even the marathon games, even though they did have a hardy lead, um, there's still um, only one or so uh, fullback is, has been rotated. Um, and in, in one case, the fullback was just moved to play wing back on, um, up in the midfield. So it's um, going to be interesting if they rest Furch, if they rest Correa, uh, Correa um, if they, or if they just, you know, because they're still going for it in Liga Mekis. At Liga Mekis is in full swing. Um, they, they're they still going for a, a playoff push um, and maybe regular season championships. So th- th- let's not act like their game against Veracruz is nothing to play for. It's a very important yeah. midseason. It's a midseason fixture. It's an important one. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it though is, is we still have to. This team still has to prepare themselves in the best possible way. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And and we have at this point we have the benefit of of having a week in between in between uh, legs. We don't again. We don't have a game until until later that weekend. Um. If if Kamar. I mean, I don't at this point. I, I Kamar comes back when Kamar comes back. I'm not even. I'm so annoyed. If I'm gonna be completely honest with with like this weird like, we'll mention him. We're not gonna mention him in the injury report, and then put people who's like supposedly injured but not actually injured. Like I, whatever. If Kamar is ready. If I see him in the 18, awesome. He's ready. He's back. But I'm not counting on that. I'm worried that we if, if too soon. With the, game, if, the Champions League cameo, if Duncan 
is if Duncan is, is rested, if Duncan is healthy, if Amir is rested and Amir is healthy, if I do not see those two players in that starting 11 on Tuesday, I am going to be fucking livid. There is absolutely no excuse why those two should not be the starting fullbacks next Tuesday, unless it's Kamar mm-hmm. and, and Duncan or Kamar and Amir. If I see Laid, if I see Laid on that lineup, and, and I, I feel so bad, I don't want to keep harping on him, but if Laid starts when we have at least two other healthy fullbacks to start, that's a big fucking problem. The only other position I would change is Wheel. Wheel did not have a good game at all. Like, there was, I, I can't, I really can't think of that many good things he did that game. He won a couple of balls and stuff, but for the most part, that was, he just did not look good that game. If, if Velo is healthy, mm. he needs to start. I'm almost willing to let, to say, you know what? Fuck it. Let Ivan uh, uh, start over, over wheel. If you have against Columbus, if, huh? He didn't do a bad job against Columbus in relatively the similar role. He didn't, he didn't have, no, he didn't do bad against Columbus and he didn't do bad in, in the short, in his, uh, you know, a little brief cameo, uh, <coughs> In the first leg, we need goals. That's what it comes down to. We need goals, so we need a goal-scoring lineup. We need it. We need a lineup that is that is going to provide a threat on on both sides through the middle for as long as possible. We can't go into this game hoping to just you know be a little bit defensive and 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 no, we need goals. Period. I don't want to see me all in that lineup. And I love Wheel. You you guys know this. I'm I'm a love Wheel, but I think we've shown, I think we've seen better attacking options at, for for uh, uh for this stage of this importance when we need when we need goals. I think we have better options on that side. And then there's the fullback situation, which it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, like like, and I think it goes back to this idea about situational deployment. And I really don't think it's big club shit. To be sticking with a solid eleven at all costs, you know. I think yep. big club shit is yeah. taking advantage of the various little things that your different players bring to the table and deploying them in the right situations. This is how you take full advantage of depth and alternatives that we like to talk about exactly. a lot on this podcast. You know, I think. Yep. If the situation was different, where like we were going into the next game with a two or three goal lead. Then I can see you starting wheel because you know he's going to clean things up, and and you you do want to maybe be a little bit more defensive minded because you 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 want to you know you we all know what we brings to the table uh, in terms of that, but that's not the situation. The situation is we need goals. You got to put a goal scoring threat on that side. Yeah, no, not- especially with Danny Royer's. You don't know you don't know what you're going to get with Royer if you, if if late is playing. Danny Royer will not exist. Yeah, no. nope. and that's the other thing for me is that like I think Royer kind of it, it, like at least deserves to start because you know his goal threat is probably like is a major factor why like he gets games most weeks. But you also can't deny that he's going to be a passenger if he doesn't have someone on the left side. If he's not going to be allowed to go roam and go poach, right? We kind of know this about Danny Royer as a player. 
He's either going to yeah. w- win you the game or you're going to be playing with 10 men, effectively, in attack for the game. And it's in a way, it's the ultimate boomer bus guy. And this is why I think, like, this is where we also kind of needed to start thinking about potential alternatives to Danny Royer in certain setups. Like, we can't just allow and concede the left cha- left-hand channel to Santos Laguna and expect to win the game. I think... We can't do that. It, it showed in the first leg that um, it showed in the first leg that you know I think you're it's going to take something a bit extra to be able as much as we created chances in that first leg. Um, it was going to take a little bit more extra to eventually put the ball in the back of the net. We created chances, sure, but like like I think we could have genuinely had an outlet where we were creating more chances at a higher frequency if you had someone on the left-hand channel who could create with the ball. And I don't really think it's a coincidence that that happened when Andy Ivan came onto the field and he started mm-hmm. getting on the ball more and trying to force the issue with his dribbling and his shots from deep. I think that's one thing that we definitely lacked despite the fact that we had chances in the Santos game, you know? And if that's what it's going to take to kind of activate both channels and attack, I say go for it. The options are there. It's just they're not being exercised for some reason. You know, I think that's what it boils down to for me. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 the big – I feel like I have to kind of calm myself down just a little bit because we still have a long, long season ahead yeah. of us. So I don't want to get ahead of myself and and start making indictments and 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 you know formulating these 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 takes in my head just based on a four or five game series in the beginning of the season. What what might be happening now in terms of roster movement and 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 you know visit you know all that stuff is very very likely going to be a bit different and even just a month from now because the fiction congestion may not be there. Um, the big X factor here is Matthias. He's not going to be another Verone. I, I would be shocked if he ended up being another Verone. He is going to be in the lineup somehow, frequently. Whether that's by substituting Brad, by 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 starting over Brad, or or playing as a second striker, which means you're 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 removing either Royer or one of the many you know other other options on the other side. Someone is coming off. So it, there's a lot here. I, we're hyper-focused on now for obvious reasons, but there's definitely a lot more coming, uh, I think, very soon in terms of what we're going to see, how this lineup and how this roster is going to end up turning. Yeah, um, That's all I really got personally going into Tuesday. Um, does anyone have anything to add or should we move on to questions? No I think we're okay. So yeah, um, two questions in the mailbag today, and uh, we'd like to thank everyone once again for sending in a question. Um, we always appreciate the engagement, you guys. So uh, we'll begin from Edward Ritter asking, "How worried should we be about finishing? Panic for a new number nine DP concerned?" And I'm going to tell you, no. I can't. I I I I think we can't hit the panic button just yet because we haven't seen what Matthias Jorgensen can do. And I think that's basically where I'm at. Like, sure, 
They scored six goals. Yeah. In four games. Yeah, like here's the thing. I mean, like, yeah, okay, we we kind of fucked up. A bit. We we kind of fucked up against Santos, but we were still creating the chances. Like here, like soccer's like this, where you could be creating a ton of chances, and some days the ball just doesn't want to go into the net, and that's basically what happened against Santos. It could have very Shout well. Shout out to Celtic versus Barcelona. Sorry. Shout out to that Celtic versus Barcelona game. Yeah. Right. Like. <laughs> That, that, that's the thing for me is that like you know I think when when, when you kind of get rocked like that in your own house you're gonna be a bit on edge you're gonna be a bit antsy I think there's definitely a lot of justification to the angst but look I mean it's still too early to be hitting like the panic button on the attack especially when we haven't seen what the new Tam signing up front's gonna do like I like uh, I'm sorry if this sounds callous, but it'd be really stupid business to bring in a DP at a position where you already spent a considerable amount of money strengthening up front. Like that, if you're ever going to be bringing in a DP, you've got to bring in a DP spot at another place where you haven't already made a significant financial investment. And especially when that significant financial investment hasn't been given a platform yet to show what he can do. So to cut a long story short, no. So I I would just want to say that I'm I'm not worried. I'm definitely not worried. I, I do think some of this um, comes down to kind of just you know early season rust. You know their keeper was making unbelievable you know unbelievable saves. Even even the Pantoa uh, keeper actually had a really good game. I think it was the second leg that he or the first leg. Um, uh, I remember having a pretty good game. So it's a combination of things. I'm not too, too worried. I would be lying though if I said that I am not starting to get just a little, little worried about Brad. There's something different about him this year. It's not his usual, like just not being sharp at the beginning of the season and just kind of being a little unlucky. He looks different. His runs don't look, um, he just looks stiff. And not like it's freezing stiff. I mean, that could partly that could probably be part of it too, because it was fucking cold on Tuesday. But even against even against uh, even a DR, like it just he looks off. There's something just I don't know. It's different. Um, that being said, you can't panic because the team does have a two and a half million dollar investment that hasn't played yet. He hasn't been in the eighteen yet. So I don't think it's unreasonable for someone to just kind of, you know maybe have a little raised eyebrow, like, hmm. But it's definitely full panic to like start demanding us looking at a DP. When again, like you said, Lens, we have an investment who came in. Let him kick the ball first with their uniform on before we start judging what happens. Because if he ends up having the upside that we that he has a potential, Brad can have the decline this year and we'll still be you will still be fine. If we do get a DP, it's not going to be a DP striker. We have we basically have that. It's going to be someone on the wings or somewhere in the midfield or something like that. So I'm not going to blame anyone for for being a little queasy in a way about missing some of these shots because I'm not again I'm a little little Brad. I have weird vibes from Brad right now. I hope I'm proven wrong, but no one should be panicking. Definitely not panicking. Third DP panic. That's that's let's 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 see things actually happen this season before we we hit that button. You know what my yeah, Mike. oh sorry no you go ahead before I uh, fire off this bit. 
I, I for one, believe that the eighth time that we splash big money on an aging forward will be the, the, the time that it finally breaks through. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. There's no way that this hasn't failed. Um, I, it's basically like people have conceptualized that if your forward isn't your designated forward, your number nine, as Brad is, isn't scoring, then like your entire attack is a failure. Um, that's completely untrue. Um, we've put balls on frame. We've put balls in the back of the net. Danny Royer's doing, does that fantastically. And throughout his career here, um, we look at this idea that this, you need this third designated player as a striker. Cause we've, we've seen that Ruiz, Diaz, Zlatan, all this whole list of big difference makers is, that are coming in as your big strike point. That's your designated player. The designated player rule is almost designed to bring in big name strikers to rack up the goals to make the product on the field more watchable. We understand that. We accept that um, as a condition of su- watching and supporting teams in this league. That being the case, we've been exponentially successful by investing in people that we know can score and will develop an ability to score off of service and not just one-on-one we brad developed from that until he became the the, like five-headed monster that he is now um and while you're correct nando on that um that it is time to look at the production of brad with kind of a like a huh he's 34 um he's playing in a physically demanding system um if he He's played one some of the most minutes every single year for this club. He doesn't rotate often. He doesn't like to. Um, we know that as a competitor that that's definitely going to take a toll eventually. Um, and that's why Matthias has been brought in. That's why Brian White has been brought up and called up. Um, it's, you know, a basic simple fact um, that growing older and churn happens, especially in a physically demanding system. There's no need for us to look at a expensive product for that will last maybe two years when we have several clinical performers and finishers already on the roster. It it just throwing away money to pretend that spending big because we're in a New York market is somehow this great difference maker that puts us over the hump um, is revisionist history. Um, it's just pounded on despite the fact that conceptually every New York sports team that has succeeded and has won championships has developed internally through their farm system and through developing and signing young players that are developed into stars. It's a fact. It's just what it is. And people don't like to think about that for whatever reason, despite the fact that there is such a storied history of that being the case for New York franchises. It doesn't make sense, but Whatever. Yeah, I mean, uh, before I f- go into my weird bit about where to spend the thing, is that like, uh, I mean, even looking at the Yankees, who are this, uh, you know, this model for spending big equals championships. I mean, if you look at the numbers that hang really? in Monument Park, you guys, every single one of those, with the exception of maybe Ruth, Maris, and Reggie Jackson, were homegrown dudes. And that's just, just Reggie Jackson deal only worked for two World Series, guys. Yeah. People forget that. And that's just some fu- so, that's just some fucking tea for you. That's basically mm-hmm, it. Yeah. But if we do, most of the fell apart. Sorry, 
most of those big spending teams fell apart because they didn't have a core ethos and you just had a bunch of high paid mercenaries didn't work never does the 2000s yankees were brutal man but uh we don't really need to get too much into that because i think if we do spend uh on a third dp and this is going to be my galaxy brain proposition it should be on a third dp defensive midfielder if Sean yeah. Rizza maybe aren't quite, you know, the midfield pairing that we thought they would be. You know, I think Caceres deserves like an addition at some point as well. But I think there is a potential problem on this roster that I recognize with the midfield where a lot of our top options kind of have very similar skill sets and that really compensate for one another in the way that Tyler Adams used to. But Tyler Adams is a fucking generational prospect so you're not going to be so players like that don't come around like very often i can i'm going to be straight right off the bat spending big money on a tyler adams replacement isn't going to be a sure thing but if there is one potential part of the roster where i could kind of see it being used is to bring in a defensive midfielder who has kind of a bit more bite or a bit more um steel I think you know what I mean. It's that our goalkeeper next year, which is well. <clears throat> well, I mean, we we don't. There is still the possibility of of us going after uh, what's his name, Vanderbrugge. Um, yeah, mm. I mean, the deal ended, but it seemed, at least from his own words, that it was more. Uh, he just didn't want to leave. He was their team captain. And he just didn't want to leave in right. the middle of their season. Um, so summer window, you know, there is a summer window and, and, and we, we often do something, uh, in the summer. So if there is any kind of deficiency there, if, if, you know, the risen Davis pairing just isn't, isn't working or if Rizzo just, you know, he just gets another spell of injuries or, uh, CCJ just doesn't kind of, you know, work or whatever the reasons may be. There's a window, and we were already. We know we were tied to a player in that position, who definitely would have would have involved a transfer fee. Um, probably not a DP. Probably would have been a TAM level player, but you know, 25 year old defensive mid. I mean, we were linked to him. There was acknowledgement on on on. I think both sides actually. So it's it's a possibility. Yeah, and I'm I'm just gonna flat out um, say that um, just just in general on the stance is that like I'm not saying go out and sign a third DP now by any stretch of the imagination for anyone wants to go like hog wild with my words in this podcast. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I'm saying that if a possibility arises, I would like for it to be spent on bringing in an option at defensive midfield. Anyway, I'm spending too much uh, time on this. So we're going to move on to um, the last question in the mailbag. And this comes from Kari um, at Nana man. On Twitter, I always love reading this handle. Like, <laughs> it really does spark me with a lot of joy. So, thanks, Kari, for sending in this question. Any ideas of an anti-fascist tifos that we can sneak past the FO? I'm thinking at SCW no pasarán. I love this question. Truly, I <laughs> like. Um, I, I've always been a big fan of like the Nazis Rouse thing. That's kind of been floating around. I, I, I really thought that that's like, that's some really fucking cool shit. Was that Nazi Nazis Rouse banner and the Nazis Rouse t-shirt you see coming around? If you if you just kind of hang that like in a big ass banner from like the second 
deck somewhere along the stadium, like I'd be fucking all for that because that's some proper shit. And I'm going to take this time now and I don't really fucking care if this gets me in a lot of trouble with whoever may be monitoring this podcast, but that MLS code of conduct shit fucking sucks. And I don't have no problem saying that because it's highly unlikely that I'm going to be at an MLS stadium this year. So honestly, <laughs> like fuck your MLS fan code of conduct. That shit is fucking whack. And fuck Alexi Lawless for like saying that this is some thought police shit. Okay. Like there are some people who do not deserve by any stretch of the imagination to be welcomed at sporting venues. The Empire Supporters Club spent its first two or three years of its existence doing exactly this, punching those Nazi fucks out of the stadium, and they haven't been back since. It's not exactly a coincidence, people. I'm going to be very, very upfront in saying that. Support of this team has always been founded on Antifa. Support from Antifa. It is actually the crux of the, the identity of one of the oldest supporters group that follows this club. And I want nothing more than that to be made absolutely clear. And anything that comes and inhibits on this idea that our fans will take it upon themselves by any means necessary to make sure that those hateful elements are not welcome at our stadium, fuck you. Truly. Fuck the MLS fan code of conduct. I couldn't. I was incensed when they released that. So I think to answer your question, yeah. like that's exactly I think what the big Antifa tifo should be. It should just be a giant Antifa flag, and I think it'll start a GoFundMe to pay the fine. I don't know. <laughs> any, anyone got anyone got ideas? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Lee had uh, Lee's when it wears that T-shirt yeah. you guys mentioned. Um, what do you call it? Uh, that's a good one because I mean, that's not really political, but it's very, very clear in what it means. I would love to see those. I would love, I would love to see them tell someone that they can't wave that banner. That would be fucking like some really shocking shit if they did. Um, it's unbelievable that in 2019 we're, we're we're really having discussions about whether Nazis should have a platform. Uh, of any kind it's 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 actually fucking disgusting and i think it just shows you how fucked this world is um you know this is the big thing of course is the these these nazi assholes uh, uh across the, across the river and credit to the people on that side who are doing their best to fight especially knowing that they're basically at this point pushing against the league at this point and, and, and their front office, which is fucking mind boggling. So credit to them. And, and I hope they don't stop. I hope they keep pushing and keep pushing and do whatever they have to do to make sure that those fucking people aren't in there. But I feel like it's important to remind people that like these dudes literally fucking have Nazi tattoos and wear Nazi gear and shit like that. Like this isn't like, uh, well, both sides, type of thing or, you know, well, they're a political view. No, they are actual fucking Nazis, okay? They fucking have, they brand this shit on their fucking body. So eat shit if you want to fucking try to conflate this with anything else. 
So fuck MLS. I go to games. Fuck you. If you are listening to this MLS and you have any problem with what I'm saying, fuck your code of conduct. It's bullshit. It's pure fucking you're, 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 you're cowards for your fucking for, 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 for how you guys have approached this. You're cowards for how you've avoided this. Don Garber, eat shit. I hope you choke on fucking soup. <laughs> You son of a bitch. That'd be an achievement. Let's point that yeah, out. Like, holy shit, man. <laughs> I want that shit. That would be painful. And I want that shit to be painful. That was the most pathetic and embarrassing statement. He somehow made himself sound worse than like a statement from the NFL. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was at, like, you've made it finally lads. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that was such a horrendous statement that was somehow worse than no comment. Yeah, no, it didn't. I mean, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's a shame because, you know, there, there's been, there, there's been incidences, um, where people have had, you know, anti-fascist or against racism, uh, uh, flags and stuff like that. And they've been confiscated. The Yankee stadium. Yeah. Like, 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 like Refugees like, like, welcome. Like here's the thing is that they, they took our Black Lives Matter flag away at Yankee Stadium last year. Like what the fuck is up yeah. that? MLS yeah, MLS basically thinks that, that black and a Black Lives Matter flag is like as controversial as as like a Nazi, which is fucking just absolutely telling. I mean, I, I don't even want to dive into this too much because I can already feel my blood boiling. And and I'm just gonna start yapping and and yeah I, I fuck fuck that whole fuck all that shit like where 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 the most blatant anti fucking fascist and anti racist shit you could possibly think of and dare those fucking cowards to tell you that you can't walk in that fucking stadium. Yeah, I mean that just about I mean that just about sums it up for me. I think seeing the response from the league organization was horrendously disappointing. It really shows you where the head of this league is at. And somehow in one fell swoop, we managed to show that MLS is somehow in line, if not to the right of the NFL. And that's crazy. This is arguably the most progressive fan group, fan, like group of fans in the league. You know, I like, uh, the, the- just, the problem with the the problem with the league is it's it's in this weird position. It's just, it's in this weird uh, moment in its history where people are actually paying attention, and they don't want any any bit of negative negative uh, 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 negative press. They already get they still get hammered for attendance and and you know ratings, but the league wants to prop itself and push itself in the absolute brightest possible light, and this is a huge huge stain on the league and they're going to do everything possible to brush under the rug because they need to, they need their image to be in, in the best possible way Would they're just too stupid to fucking understand is how they, how they've approached this. Just put them in an even bigger spotlight. Their reaction was so horrendous. Okay. I saw people that I know personally don't give a shit about soccer posting it. Asking what the fuck is this? They've made it worse because they're all a bunch of idiots and they're all a bunch of fucking cowards. Instead of tackling this the way they should have done, instead of addressing this the way 
the way they should have from the very beginning in 2015. They waited until 2019 for this story to break, and they're they're just doing their best to hide it, and they're just they're showing their ass. It's yeah. embarrassing. Now look, this is this is why this is why you support a club. You don't support a league. Mm-hmm. You support yeah. your fucking club. I just wanted to bring now. We cannot forget that the majority of the owners in Major League Soccer are also involved in NFL ownership as well. We and we can't. We have to separate the one fact that Garber does work for the majority of the MLS investor operators um, that also make up the majority of the sporting facet in the NFL. Um, they're going to bring the exact same set of values of protect the shield to major league soccer. Um, and that is where you get um, instances like that we're seeing now where they're taking such a hard line stance on being so positively toothless. Um, and also the league's not really invested and has the firepower to really go up against the fact that NYCFC is a Emirati um, branding exercise. Um, and the reality is that that ownership group, that operating group, doesn't care that there are problematic elements in the stands because this whole project, the whole City Football Group project, is to spin the fact that they're a slave state um, out of the public consciousness and to see that they're investing in positive global ventures like sport, like athletics, like building these buildings and using the fields in, of New York and the markets such as the English Premier League to um, assist and raise awareness of this new um, you, you new Emirati experience that's being pushed on the league and there's not many owners especially in our league system that are really set to go to task against that um both financially and uh, morally and that's one thing that is kind of swept under the rug a bit when it comes to mls being so indifferent they are facing a juggernaut that doesn't care. And if the juggernaut's not going to care and the juggernaut's operating the franchise and sanctioning most of their supporter groups, by the way, who work with them, um, then you're, you're going to spit out this frivolous bullshit. That's disgusting. That's gross. And to me, I look at it as just as MLS wants to have their cake, which is, um, Emirati money and eat it too. um, and what's coming off with that is an ownership group that has no scru- no scruples and that sees this troublesome group as dollar signs, um, which is the takes that Alexi um, brought out is all hot dog sales matter um, from Alexi Lawless was not the the the, the biggest most the loudest and most recognizable voice in American soccer media, basically being like, "Heh, they bought a ticket." Um, is not the take that you want to be a, getting a hold of for um, 
soccer in this country and just as a as a look, it looks terrible. It is. Yeah. This um, is why this is why we need to dissolve MLS. <laughs> uh, I think and I think uh, this That's is a perfect it. seg into uh this week's uh, 69 tweets. So if you are listening to this and you got this far into the episode, tweet 69 at Don Garber for his cowardice because this is fucking <laughs> bullshit. And I think that kind of brings some shame to on to Don. I'm disappointed in Yeah, you. no, truthfully. Um I don't know. I th- I think on that note, that kind of does wrap it up. So uh, I want to reiterate again, like, please send all the 69s to Don Garber and MLS HQ because this is fucking cowardice, plain and simple in this day and age. And uh, for that matter, send 69 to Alexi Lawless as well because Tom reminded me of how stupid that take was. Just absolutely embarrassing, really. (laughs) I mean, this whole week, like, this whole week's theme is, like, basically... Amer- Amsoc is an embar- is an em- embarrassing like state isn't an embarrassing state. It's true, basically. Like it, it, it's. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to get into it much deeper than that. But American soccer is embarrassing. Send sixty nine to Don Garber and Alexi Lawless for their bullshit. Um, anyone got anything else they want to add? Or welcome nope. to Atlanta United later this year. <laughs> it's happening, boys. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, I here first. I think that's about does it for this uh, marathon crisis episode in Metro Van TV, clocking it at almost two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> Tom, thank you so much for coming on and making the time. I hope this made up for the fact that we couldn't uh, get everything done on Monday, but we appreciate the insight, man. It was great. No problem. Always, always a pleasure, guys. Loved it. And uh, I guess on behalf of me and Fernando, we'll see you on Tuesday for leg two against Santos Laguna and Torreon. So, will we? Cl- will we? Will we go to the mountaintop? Well, there's only one way to find out, and that's to tune in. So, on behalf of me and Fernando, we'd like to say Metro Fan TV signing out, and fuck Nazis. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>